and welcome to season 11 of Sequelizers. I am your host, as always, Jack Chambers-Ward, and joining me, also as always, is Matthew Stogden. Sequelizers? So where does that name come from originally? Is it the Australian? Huh? Were you the butt of every joke, Matthew? We're still buddies. Butties? Nope. Get it? No. Butties? Like Like a chip butty. Yeah. Speaking of chip butties, joining us is Tim Matum. And since my trusty laptop isn't working, I'm going to sequelize all of this with my hands tied behind my back. That makes sense. Uh, spoilers. Tim's doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Tim's, Tim's fixing this week. And I did it all with my hands tied yeah, behind like, like my a, back. Like, with like a bird tongue. pecking his fucking face at yeah. the keyboard. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> oh, I didn't, do, I didn't use my face. <laughs> Fuck you! <laughs> Good night, everybody. Ah, there we go. And before you ask, yes, I can touch type. <laughs> <laughs> no hunt and peck for me. Fucking hell! Oh, why is this weak? Hunt, hunt and pecker right there. Fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty. It's going to be a pretty horny episode, probably, knowing Tim. <laughs> it is Stop now. Stop kicking Jesus. off with his cock jokes. <laughs> oh, good Lord. Well, if you haven't already guessed... We're going to be fixing. No one can guess. <laughs> no one can guess. <laughs> Charlie's Angels, full throttle from 2003. Throttle is both a pleasing and unpleasant word to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I thought you were going to say to experience things. <laughs> revealing mean... your choke kick. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a horny anyway, ep- it's a horny episode, Matt, I'm telling you. It is, it is. It's, I, I don't think They're I'm leaving movies. it there, but it's finding its way into this Tim's here. filth dungeon over and over. <laughs> <laughs> Charlie's Angels Filth Dungeon <laughs> Oh good lord Well before we get to fixing Charlie's Angels Full Throttle Let's go to patreon.com slash sequelizers And say thank you to the lovely patrons who make this show possible Make the end season we've just finished possible And this main season itself We've got some bad Bad movies to cover And some of those are thanks to some of the people on Patreon Because you can vote for us to fix a film per season, you can mm. vote for an interseason episode. You also get early access and ad-free episodes of the podcast. And if you go up to the higher tiers, you can also get all the bonus outtakes and stuff that we do. We've just done some mad quizzes. Tim came up with something very creative that I'm still trying to wrap my head around. Yeah, it kind of flawed us a bit. A- absolutely bamboozled these guys. <laughs> Thoroughly bamboozled. Mm. I just went to BuzzFeed as I often do. The, no spoilers. There was a point where I just showed. Shrek, a oh, Beyonce, shit. <laughs> that means nothing to anybody, yep. but it will make sense. When soon. you hear the outtakes, it'll all make sense. Mm. Sort of. Sort of, yeah. <laughs> uh, we also do movie commentaries as part of the bonus content, and we did one last week. So if you've tuned into episode one of this season and not heard the movie commentary yet, you can go and enjoy that because oh, Space Jam 2 was an, an adventure through the Warner Brothers library, wasn't it? It was a fucking slog. Fucking hell. Oof. We've got. Two more movie commentaries coming up later in the season as well, as well as weekly outtakes, of course. And you can get exclusive merch, which will be launching very, very soon. We've just finalized the design with one Mr. John Scarrett. 
We'll be sending that off to the printers very, very soon. So the brand new Patreon exclusive t-shirt will be coming out soon. Mm. It's very cool. Mm -hmm. It is indeed a variant upon the Resurrection Tour t-shirt we launched earlier this year. Yep. But with some little sneaky variations and stuff, it's very, very cool. To get all of that, like I said, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. If you go to the £30 tier, you can become an executive producer. Or if you go to the £50 tier, there are three people in that tier right now, and they are the VIPs. The executive producers for this week are Hyper Dude Man. Look at those knockers. Boys! Philip Morgan. He was a painfully shy child until it came time for his monthly haircut. David Selinger. Why be an angel when I can play God? Marcus Lindstrom. This is it, you ready? James McDowell. Hola. Josh van der Sluis. I got sin on him ass, I can't hardly walk. And Stuart Main. Go to hell. And the VIPs for this week are Jonathan Firth-Clark. What do you call this? Chinese fighting muffin. Xenos. Thank you, Charlie. And Josh Miles. Oh. Thank you, executive producers and very important producers. Very important patrons. We haven't worked out what the P stands for yet. Penis. Oh, there we go. Thank you for support, executive producers, VIPs, and everybody on patreon.com slash sequelizers. Like I said, you make this show possible. You make it free for everyone else on all the usual podcast services. And like I said, if you'd like early access, getting it the Friday before the Tuesday, if you'd like to not listen to us talk about Audible and Athletic Greens and all the usual stuff we talk about <laughs> in the ads, go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. So shall we dive into some Charlie's motherfucking angels, boys? Yes. I'll kick things off. Oh! Yeah. I saw the second film in the cinema. Mm. I was a bit too young to see the first one. I would have been only nine. Mm -hmm. But I did see it on DVD, I think, or possibly sure. possibly the television. And basically, the first film was my sexual awakening. <laughs> Tom Green? Mostly the ch <laughs> mostly the Chad. Ninety percent the Chad, ten percent Drew Barrymore. Yeah, um, as anyone would attest to. Oh, Drew Barrymore specifically. Uh, Drew Barrymore was my f was my favourite. Probably still is, to be fair. Um, but yeah, fair. The, the three central angels were very much my sexual awakening. Turns out, my wife had the same experience. Oh, nice. <laughs> I told I I basically confessed. I was like, <laughs> I've been watching the Charlie's Angels films this week, and I remembered they're my sexual awakening. She was like. Yeah, me too. I was like, oh, oh, okay, cool. That's fine then. <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, it, it led to basically lifelong crushes on Drew Barrymore, Lucy Liu, and Cameron Diaz. Interesting. So, yeah. That's they're very, they're very <laughs> so, attractive ladies. They're very yeah. attractive ladies. Like you they're very stopped. attractive characters. I'm, I'm really glad it wasn't like, and that's why I'm into Tim Curry in a sumo suit. I mean, I did forget Tim Curry was in the first movie. I was like, oh! Damn, <laughs> Tim Curry's in this. Oh, he's not in yeah. it for very long. Oh, well. he, he's in the first film, and then he goes on to be in uh, Scary Movie 2, and his career sort of spirals a little bit. You're like, oh, uh, Tim, come com on. Come on and conquer Red Alert 3. <laughs> Picks back up again. Nice. <laughs> Just still my favorite line delivery. It's come up a few it's times on this show. One of the best line deliveries of all time. Yeah. I can finally go. Where the reaches of capitalism cannot find me. <laughs> and he, you literally see him like almost laugh. Yeah. He's brimming with excitement to say, yeah. Spice. 
Again, he's an actor who who, who uh, is inimitable. You can't really just be a curry. <laughs> yeah, you're going to shut up and say, "I'm gonna do a Tim Curry." No, you're not. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, Matt, how about you? Yeah, were these I, your sexual awakening, or were you already switched on? I, I'm. So, I grew up on the mask, so Cameron Diaz was already. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Sorry. Uh, Right, so full. Is she, is she sexier in the mask or sexier in Charlie's Angels? That's, that's, that's male female gay stuff going on there. It's mm. an interesting debate that debate on what sex I'm, is and isn't. So I'm pretty sure it's male gays in all of these films. Oh, right. That's <laughs> true, but I mean, it's there's a, uh, there's more um, empowerment, shall we say, in Charlie's Angels to a degree. But we'll get to that later. Basically, um, well, actually, no. What I'm trying to say more is the bimbofication in in the mask more than anything else. <laughs> yeah, but. Either way, uh, no. So, uh, classic full disclosure. I did see both films in the cinema, of course, but I, I lied about it because I was uh, sixteen when the first one came out, oh. and it was not cool to go see Charlie's Angels. It was a girls' film, and you weren't allowed to That's because true. dickhead, fucking yeah. toxic male <laughs> bullshit. Uh, but I was like, yeah, but I want to see this film, <laughs> and I enjoyed it. Um, I did have. Um, I think I had that epiphany within the first five, 10 minutes. Like, oh, it's a cartoon. Um, <laughs> it's really colorful and it's doing matrix level Lots stuff. Of wire and work I like, yeah. And I was like, I like, yeah. and I was very much into, um, obviously uh, late teens. I've discussed it before on the show, getting into a lot of, um, Kung Fu films oh, and stuff. God, like that. I, I wonder where that center is going. Fucking hell. Where do you think I was going with that? Lots of leather and whips and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Also that. <laughs> Hey, that's of uh, what quote unquote wire, wire work. work. Yeah. <laughs> um, Christ, you guys are making this one as fun. <laughs> um, so yeah, basically, I, I, I um, it did enjoy it, but again, it was under the pretense of like, no, you can't talk about it. So it was it, again, I, it's one of those things. That, I, I love the idea. <laughs> the <have> forbidden. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously, the forbidden review. You had a version of redrighthand.co.uk. And you oh just, no, it was before you, I you wrote yeah. it and just never published it out of masculine shame. This is for me. <laughs> no, what I'm trying to do is, is paint a bit of a picture of what because we all could look back retrospectively and say, oh yeah, yeah. It's like no, no, no. This film was important for a lot of people because um, it was uh, that and pairing with um, Destiny's Child with the songs as well. It had this very strong no. This is a film that women can enjoy, yada yada yada. But therefore, it also had this weird, again, made the circles I was in. Who the fuck knows? But this context, of like, no, no, that's not for you. You shouldn't be watching. It's like, but it's an action film. It looks good. Um, I don't know if I'd agree with that. Oh, because it's such a clearly, it's such the epitome of like, let's take feminism and market it in the most capitalistic way possible okay well that's, that's entirely fair yeah and yeah. you still get to look at like asses and tits and i was stuff. 11 tim i didn't know that <laughs> yeah i guess I, I, again I, all i can do is is speak to my own experience back when i was a kid thinking yeah. oh i probably should because i but also the amount of women i know now who say like oh no i think it's fantastic but that's yeah the... I, th I think it's the thing is that i don't think you can't take those messages from it. It's still directed by McG, though. It's still directed by <laughs> McG, and it's still entirely male gaze. Yeah. No, I I don't disagree with that. I think it's fair. and and I think also to be fair, even though Elizabeth Banks did we get to the remake in a second or the sequel, whatever we want to call it, the 2019 version mm. suffered in a similar way where it didn't have enough of its own thing going on. But anyway, uh, so I saw them both in the cinema. As I said, I saw the 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 third whatever we want to call yeah. it in the cinema. Mm -hmm. I. I remember seeing bits of the TV series. Mm. 
in that, you know, you'd have like a Sunday morning and you see like MASH and the A-Team and other random 70s stuff would be on and you'd like catch a glimpse and say, oh, it's Charlie's Angels. And you'd know Charlie's Angels because people would do the pose and you'd have the silhouette stuff. Mm. And you'd have, I remember very distinctly, the fallout of this film coming out would be blurry fucking digital photos <laughs> and um, you know, actual cameras still at that point in yeah. clubs of people doing that fucking pose. Yeah. It was still very much rooted in, ah, cultural footprint mm. smashing through the fucking mm. ceiling. And it was, it, it, I, again, I remember a lot of um, women I know now, I knew them at the time, very much going, no, 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 this is my shit. I love this. Mm. Like, oh yeah, cool. Uh, also a friend of mine at the time who is actually a bit of a dick um, when we were queuing up to see another film that was showing on the reel of stuff that were going through, I was like, oh, wow, Chai's Angels movie, that's weird. And it's like, well, sort of quiet looking, he's like, oh, are we supposed to say it's good or not? And then he said, look, look, it's Tom Hanks. And we said, that's Bill Murray, you fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I will forever think that Tom Hanks is in these movies, but he's not. But I think he's working well, in these movies. interesting because Matt LeBlanc's character is a parody of Tom Hanks. But no, it's Tom Cruise. Yes, it's like ah, there you go. Yeah, I can see, I can see what you mean. Like getting people getting confused with like I was young enough that I didn't know actors by name. Yeah, and I was like oh, Tom something. Like yeah, I would have the same thing. I got Dan Aykroyd and Bill Murray confused a lot when I was younger. Oh yeah, because of Ghostbusters mm. and that kind of stuff. Mm. I was like, I can't remember who's in what or where or whatever. Yeah, and I had a moment rewatching it, being like. Fuck me, Clis Crispin Glover's in this. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit, Bill Murray! Like an oh idiot. my god, so many of these like fucking Luke Wilson shows up. Owen Wilson shows up in the sequel. Like it's yeah. so weird. Like this is a hell of a cast for two thousand. Like that period specifically. Mm. Yeah, the guy from Friends and like. Well, that's why I think about the impact of what this film was with people at the time. Were like, no, this is going to be. It's it's so hard to say it was going to be big. I'll get. I'll actually let Tim talk before we get to the film itself and synopses and bits and pieces. But Tim, mm. what was your experience of these? Yeah, movies? I mean, it, I remember it being a success. I mean, it made a lot of money. I seem to remember. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I mean, I saw it in the cinema. Uh, both both of the films in the cinema. I went with a bunch of male friends to see the first one. Interesting. Yeah. So lads, there lads, was, lads. There I was, was just hanging out with pricks. Yeah, there was no sense that oh, like it's a girls' film. We can't go and see it. Mm. If anything, we were awful teenagers who were going to leer over the women in it <laughs> interesting, uh, and appreciate the, the male gaziness of it. Oh. Um, this is a divisive one. And I can remember leaving the cinema and one of my friends being extremely confused from one of the scenes where it's Drew Barrymore, but she's wearing a blonde wig. And mm -hmm. so he was convinced it was Cameron Diaz. Oh, is he face blind? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so identifies maybe. people by their hair. It's color. like the scene where she's where they're in the pit crew and she like gets in the limo yeah, and yeah, flirts yeah. with the dude. Yeah. And he was like, oh, Cameron Diaz is so hot in that bit. And we were all like, that was Drew Barrymore. You know, like, they changed their hair yeah. a lot, right? <laughs> That's kind of the thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Weird. But anyway, yeah. Uh, and then, so I saw... I. I Definitely saw that one in the cinema. I'm pretty sure I saw Full Throttle in the cinema because it would would have come out at around a time when I was seeing most things. I think that was when I when I was in sixth form mm. and I would just like go to the cinema. Yeah, when classes were done or whatever. But by, by the time the sequel came out, I was very much because of I don't give a fuck what anything. I'm thinks sorry. I don't give a fuck what anyone thinks. I'm seeing everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then my main associations with this film after that are that um a lesbian couple who I knew in university uh, absolutely loved it and thought it was a kind of camp masterpiece. Yep. Um, and so I think I watched it at least once with them, uh, possibly under the influence of substances. 
Uh, and then I didn't see the 2019 one in the cinema. Um, I tried to watch it uh, a little while after it came out. I don't know, 2000, 2000, last year maybe. Uh-huh. Um, got about 20 minutes into it and I was like, oh, this is bad. I can't watch this. Uh, and then yesterday I struggled through it because I was like, well, I should probably... Did you uh, feel it re- was redeeming itself anyway through? Or was it just like, I no, I was right? I thought it got a bit better as it went on. I agree. Um, I think it ha- there's some interesting bits that it does, but it's still not a good film. I think it's the worst of the three. Oh, the absolutely. Yeah. It doesn't... Yeah, I think the, um, Char- the, the 2000s Charlie's Angels films, the one the two we'll mainly be discussing today, yes. at least have a sense of their own ridiculousness. And 100%, yeah. the 2019 one seems to be taking itself just a little bit too seriously, apart from Christian Stewart, who is having a whale of a oh, time. Oh, she's having the best time. And knows, <laughs> yeah. and knows exactly how stupid she, it is. She knew the assignment. She, she's yeah. turned up for the... F- for the 2000s, the Charlie's Angels, yeah. yeah. And the film is trying to tell a sort of important message. You're like, no, yeah. I don't think that's yeah. what you'll... Yeah. Or, or if that is true, not everyone is on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. So to touch on the kind of... What you were touching on earlier, Tim, that kind of balance between, like, it's very clearly male gazy, but also has this kind of weird position in feminist cinema as I well. I mean, it, and like... it, it very much comes out of, like, Spice Girls girl power. Yeah post Buffy television of like Charmed and Alias and all those yep. kind of TV Ass shows. Girls, yeah. Ass, the, the very like strong female character but it's also Hollywood executives yeah. misunderstanding that to mean oh that means she can do karate and then go back to having no agency kind of thing. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah Matrix wire work and all that kind of stuff. It's, it's mm. a very like like I said it's like a capitalistic Let's take all these things that could be, you know, pushing in revolutionary directions and just kind of redirect them in a way that it seems positive and you still can take, marketable. And you can still, that's the thing, is like you can have trash art, especially when you're younger, trashy stuff that you can, that has a, a, a nod in the way, in the direction of positive messaging. And you can take those positive messages from it. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There are, thousands upon thousands of bits of art that i've taken good messages from and then now look back and go okay yeah this is yeah <laughs> perhaps a compromised product um but yeah i think it's i do, it's it's incredibly kind of mercenary in its pop feminism i would yeah, say yeah that's fair um from what i understand and i hello did some research um interviews with the three main actors Drew Barron was talking about how she was involved in the production of the whole thing and she was kind of one of the big driving factors behind yes, the whole thing. She, yeah. And getting Cameron and Lucy Liu involved mm. and bringing those three women together as kind of the core of the whole thing. And f- apart from all the mad training and shit, I know Lucy Liu was talking about a lot of the training and like they could barely walk after all the crazy kung fu training yeah. and backflips they were doing and all the wire work that like mm. pulls your joints and all that kind of stuff. They had an amazing time making the film. They yeah. really enjoyed, and that doing absolutely all... carries over into yeah. the film. Yeah, yes. And the fact that like it was Drew Barrymore's idea to bring McGee on, I was like, mm. that's a weird choice. His yeah. directorial debut as well, mm. going from music videos and stuff to feature films for the first time. Mm. And yeah, I was surprised at how 
much of a driving force Drew Barrymore was because I would never have thought that like just looking at it I would I would never have occurred to me and yeah. then seeing those interviews I think that's what kind of that's where that positivity comes from that's where that feminist yeah. side comes from yeah. where left to its own devices it would just be this horrendous 100% nonsense mm. and like you said kind of capitalist schlock but the people involved specifically the women involved mm. and more so drew barrymore dra- tried to drag it away from that as much as they could and make something that was empowering and sexy in a way that wasn't kind of like like you said that kind of obvious 2000s feminism kind of stuff there, there's a tension within it that you can feel it of the people who want it to be something that is you know frothy and fun uh, but also have kind of feminist underpinnings and presumably some executives at Sony who were like, mm, but can't we make their trousers tighter or something, yeah. you know? And, and I think, yeah, I think like Drew Barrymore, like actually owns the rights to Charlie's angels. I think still, she's an executive producer on the, on the 2019 one as, yep. a, yeah. as a result of that and stuff like that. Um, she's also the reason why they don't use guns. Yes, because uh, she's right, very yes. anti-gun, and yep. she was like, "Yeah, let's not have them do that." I yep. knew she was my favorite. Um, <laughs> she's great, uh, and yeah. Um, yeah, and I think you're right. I think that there, there's definitely like you can feel that the push, energy, that push and pull, that push, right. that yeah, push yeah. and the pull, and 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 like we said, like the fact that they had a ball doing it, and they're all lifelong friends. Yeah, like I think when Lucy Liu got her Hollywood. Uh, star hall of fame thing whatever it's called um i think it was three years ago mm. drew barrymore and cameron diaz attended and were oh like, yeah, yeah yeah stood next to her and like two of her closest friends and stuff and they've remained mm. friends for like 20 years this is what's very interesting because you guys have mentioned i'm just going to drill down a bit more it is fascinating that you're right and those who don't know this here for the first time yeah drew barrymore is the reason these films are the way they are yeah mm. uh there was going to be no romantic involvement because like we're not going to do that and drew Barrymore's like no, fuck that. The characters can go out, like go out and mess around with boys because that's what they do, and mm. that's why her character was like, "Oh no, he, she, her thing is she always falls in love with the bad guy." That's mm. kind of this running trope, um, and that's kind of you know the whole like, why would we shy away from that? That's mm. a, you know that's like that's part of feminism too. That's a whole part of it. Yeah. And again, that's shit with the guns, the train. They all push themselves through it, and they all worked as a team. This is important because the twenty nineteen version. I don't know if they did that or not, but they feel like a unit of actual genuine uh friends with chemistry. Yeah. Yes. The ke- the chemistry that they have is is really really good. Yeah. Extremely so. Uh, um, just little moments like when they all sit on a couch together, mm-hmm. one of them will rest their head on the other one. Yeah. Like, oh, it just feels normal. You just yeah. yeah, that's how people hang out in real life. There's that level yeah. of like intimacy is the wrong word, but just like yeah, comfort. Yeah, a comfort perfectly. Yeah. Thank mm. you Tim. And like, yeah. yeah, with every positive and really let's face it influential and good decision the um, that Drew Barrymore made mm. and it affected on the show, she is also the architect of one of the worst decisions, which is bringing on McGee. Yes, because <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm I don't think I think he brings a lot to it to a certain capacity because again, like Fincher in a way, and the, yes, that is That's a comparison. A hell of a comparison. <laughs> Fuck it it's it's someone... many compare McGee to David Fincher. <laughs> yeah, you know McGee is seven. <laughs> <laughs> Hard, hard pass. <laughs> um, no, but 
they both come from music video backgrounds. Mm. Yeah. So true. when McGee a lot was, of directors do. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Because right. when when she was scheduling up mm. this movie, it was much like, oh, I see these things as little vignettes, and it's like, of course you fucking do. Mm. That's how you direct your fucking music videos. Yeah. They're all little contained stories. The, the genius mind behind. By Smash Mouth. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so that's a huge reason why they um and um, there was an interview with the production designer as well and, and mm-hmm. some of the people who were doing the like the the props and the sets and all yeah. the like costumes and stuff. There was a very conscious thing treating it like a music video. The set designer compared it to a comic book. So like mm. on a new page, it's a new scene, and each scene has to have a distinctive style. Yes. So you can see this one is in at the racetrack, so they've got the distinctive stream color palette. Bright mm, blue. Yeah. They've all got different hair and stuff. You mentioned earlier, like, oh yeah, it's Cameron Diaz. Like, no, that's Drew Barrymore and Blondwood. <laughs> the fact that they change hair each time, they yeah, change yeah. outfits and stuff, and they all have very distinct outfits, even when they're like undercover and you've got the you yeah. know, Cameron Diaz as the waitress and mm. the other two in the black and the red dress, like very yeah. distinctive yeah. palettes and all that kind of mm. stuff. That was a really conscious decision from the whole like production staff and McGee and the the three central actors mm. as well, thinking about how to make each scene distinctive. I don't know about you guys, going back to it for the first time in like fifteen years. Mm-hmm. Every time a new scene would happen, I'd be like, "Oh yeah, it's this scene. <laughs> oh yeah, it's this." Like, holy shit! I remember you remember an outfit uh, or a thing I or do a whatever. For the first film, <laughs> exactly. We'll yeah, get to that yeah. in a minute. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. 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 You're right. The first one has a lot of the, like really good standout moments and line delivery and exchanges and um, a lot of coquettish sort of stuff going on. And it's like, yeah, but it's that it is that as you mentioned in that Spice Girls style, late nineties girl empowerment, uh, sorry, girl power empowerment of the idea mm. of like, no, we can be sexual as well. Fuck you. Mm. But it was still like, yes, but I'm holding the camera. So guess what? I'm still going to get off on it. It's like, mm. ah, sure. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's a, it is a double-edged sword in that respect because I still think you could have got a much better director who could have... Because while they put in so much work with the wire work and all the training, some of those camera choices fucking fail them entirely yeah. and make some of those fights feel a little sloppy, even though they worked their fucking asses yes, off to do yeah. them, which is very frustrating. I'm, I'm very intrigued to see if, if when we get around to the pitch of the second half, the director of Tim's Oh, there's choice. no way I'm, Tim's keeping McG. Jesus Christ. Terminator is it, is Salvation's McG. <laughs> I, I mean, you I, kept Zack Snyder, motherfucker. Yeah, who would talk. you have replaced him with? <laughs> McG. McG. <laughs> <laughs> McG's 300. David Fincher. <gasps> yeah. I mean, I, I can't, off the top of my head... I don't know if I've ever watched another McGee film because um, I haven't seen Salvation. Um, Salvation is fucking awful. For those who yeah. are genuinely curious, shall we go through a bit of a run of what McGee Please has directed? Do, Matthew. Uh, McGee, He's not done a huge amount. No, not especially. McGee, whose real name is McGee. Uh, no, it's Joseph McGinty Nickel. Um, he has directed Charlie's Angels, his mm-hmm. debut, as mentioned. Charlie's Angels, Full Throttle. Mm. We are Marshall. Oh, yes. Yeah. I haven't seen that, but I know of it. It's from there. Uh, Terminator Salvation. Garbage fucking movie. This Means War with uh, Tom Hardy. Oh, I've seen that. That's a bad film. It's a meh bad film. It's a weird film. Three Days to Kill. Everyone's favourite. Kevin Costner? Kevin Costner, written by Luc Besson. Uh, The Babysitter. Oh, yes. Which is a recent one. uh, I've seen that. That's that's, that's That's not not awful. Yeah. Oh, that's again a 2017, um, what you call mm. it, um, Netflix thing. So yeah. that makes more sense. Um, and he's done one called Rim of the World. Sure. Uh, <laughs> and then Babysitter. The babysitter sequel. Yeah. Killer yeah. Queen. Yeah. 
I mean, I think he is at his strongest when he is allowed to do these like big brash things that feel very music video-y. Um, sure. Like there's so many needle drops in these films. Oh yeah, um, and good on pretty on the nose ones are like fucking sound. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really, my god. Yeah, had his he's, fingers he's a man who cultural... loves the prodigy. <laughs> <laughs> when no when I was writing my notes for the synopsis, as I was watching it, I was like, "Is this the best soundtrack ever?" <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> what, cut for flash forward, smash cut to us uh, talking about best soundtracks. Yeah, and watch how it's not brought up. Yeah. Um, We'll, uh, we'll edit in that quote from Jack just to uh, that'll shame be the, him. That'll be the EP clip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just Jack saying that over and over. Um, it's not bad though. It is. It is a very good. Like it, it read the room extremely well. Yeah, and I mean that Destiny's Child song was fucking Iconic. everywhere. Iconic. Yep. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I think he he at least has a visual style. Sure. And, you know, certainly going back and watching this and compared to some modern films, you're like, oh, remember Colours, guys? Um, yeah. It's a very vibrant film. And it, it it very much feels, like you said, like a comic book, like a music video, like it's very over the top mm. and it knows it's doing that and it's completely happy to be that. Yeah, and you and know I, what you're getting when you get into it. Yeah. It tells you from the fucking start what to expect. Yes. And you go along with that. Yeah, and mm. I was not alive when the tv show was on um and don't think i've ever seen an episode of it but i presume the tv show had a similar like at least sense of what it was yeah kind of it was a bit it more was probably a, it was yeah, probably a bit more yeah yeah um bit more 70s 60s vibes. yeah yeah, yeah. look but at these I, hot gals doing hot gal yeah. things yeah. Ooh, with guns. um but, you know, I think from the very moment when uh, in the intro in the first film where the, they're on the plane and TJ Hooker, the movie, comes on. Yes. And they go, oh, God, not another film of an old TV show. Yeah. You know, <laughs> there is a self-awareness of it, not necessarily in a very meta way, the rest of the film. Sure. But in a, in a sense of we know what we're doing here and we know this is quite a silly film, but also we're going to have fun with it. And mm -hmm. hopefully you are, too. Um, and I think there's definitely elements of it that haven't aged very well. Oh, of course. It's from 2000. Yep. There's um, some brown face and some... One of the yeah. worst uh. decades of film because it's... In the 2000s, it's like, you know, rise of the internet. Um, and you're like, yeah, I don't think you can claim ignorance and everyone else is saying and doing it. It's like, you know this is wrong, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and I know that, especially when the 2019 version came out, there were a bunch of think pieces that came out essentially looking back at the what is it 2000 and no 2000, 2000, 2000 2003 on yeah. the dot uh that it came out um looking back at that version of being like oh it's 20 years later here's a new one coming out what do we think of this one now and going oh yeah there is some like a lot of like fetishization of asian stuff going on which i think to a certain yeah. degree is self-aware because it's tim curry's character who's doing most of that and yes. it's very clearly meant to be like a creep yeah um still leans yes, into it though but it still leans into it there's the whole brown face element yeah. there's yeah. a lot of like culturally appropriative costume changes and they things. all dress as geishas yes I'm like hold on a second none of you are japanese it's yeah. again it's that it's that 2000s mindset of it was doing better than the comp the, the, the competition in the uh, competitive uh, the, the the other peers were doing at the time. Yes. Therefore, it was 
a spearheading pioneering <laughs> example. Weirdly enough, something we were talking about before we started recording, the bar was so low and mm. still is in many yeah, ways. Yeah. yeah. The, when it's not just an absolute piece of shit, it's like, see, feminist masterpiece. And yeah. you're like, ah, see, it's not actively racist. Like, yeah. Ah. Yeah. You, you kind of clutch to what you can get out of things and you go, well, at least it's not insert example here. Yeah. Yeah. Should we get into some synopsis? Let's chance? let's get into some um, synopsis because yes, yes you... that will take us on to full throttle, which is bad, bad indeed. <laughs> I wanted to say it was all right, but it's not. Nah, no. It takes everything that is uncomfortably eh about the first film and makes it worse. Pretty much, Charlie's Angels from the year two thousand. We kick off with a plane sequence featuring Drew Barrymore in disguise as LL Cool J. Yes, really, <laughs> she is dressed. It's mad. I mean, we should emphasize that it starts out. It's just LL Cool J, and then they do the oh yeah, they do the Mission Impossible thing of like, oh, it turns out it's a mask. Takes off the mask. When you then work backwards from that, you go, does that mean she was in blackface? Technically, yes. Kind of, yes. It's a mask, so she didn't put face paint on. But (laughs) is that better? Who knows? Anyway, the angels, Dylan, Alex, and Natalie, team up to stop a terrorist attack on the plane. They stop the bomber and parachute to safety. It's all very classic, cold open, on a mission yeah. oh, kind yeah. of stuff. After that mission, they return to see Bosley, their primary contact, the one and only Bill Murray, certified creep these days, apparently, and and Charlie, their boss, who exclusively communicates via a speaker. Who is the original Charlie from the TV series. Just the same yes. original guy, yes. It is, yes, very much the setup from the TV show. Yes, yep. exactly. Charlie assigns the Angels to find Eric Knox, a software engineer who created a revolutionary voice recognition system and has been kidnapped by Roger Corwin, played by Tim Curry, who runs a communication satellite company called Red Star. The Angels infiltrate a party held by Corwin by dressing as geisha. It weird. Mm. Yep. Mm. And spot a suspicious looking man that they had previously seen from surveillance videos of Knox's kidnapping. While on the job, Natalie meets Pete. She's basically a waitress at this point. There's a, there's a lot of rolling outfit changes. I'm not going to list them all. <laughs> Bear with me. Uh, he will go on to be her love interest, played by Luke Wilson. Uh, they dub the creepy guy the Thin Man. This is Crispin Glover. And the angels chase him down and fight him, but he gets away. It's a very cool fight sequence. It's very matrixy and ridiculous. A, there's a moment in it, um, and because I think, Matt, you said earlier, like mm. there are definite moments in this where the the action direction is not, and just the direction as a whole is not great. But it's McGee's never lacks ambition, <laughs> um, uh, and I think there's there's a moment where uh, Crispin Glover like leaps backwards and fires his gun at yes. them, and that always sticks in my mind as this like, and I can't quite put my finger on it, but it just feels mm. very kinetic-y. That's a word. I made it up. No, I get uh, it. it feels very kinetic, and it, it feels it's very a place in America. Yeah, <laughs> Greenwich, <laughs> Connecticut. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and it feels very like comic booky in a in a in an appealing way that most comic book movies don't actually yeah. pull off. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, it kind of goes into slow mo, and he just like shoots backwards yeah. at them while mm-hmm. leaping forwards. I think they do a good job of distinguishing the three angels and their personality through their physicality as well. Mm. Like you get Dylan will like duck and dive out of the way, or Alex does a backflip, and Natalie does a cartwheel. Mm. And it's like 
the brawler, the gymnast, and the dancer, like the yes, three different yes, physical, yes, yeah. their different fighting styles all played out there, which also tie into their personalities, mm. all that kind of stuff. I like how distinct they feel mm. in their like actual action as well as and yeah. they they also try and do a thing of they do a lot of like tag team moves, yes, of like them teaming up mm. to do stuff in yeah, which combat. which is a reflection of really good choreography, yeah, that's mm. been rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed. So you can tell yeah. that they've worked hard on it. And yeah. I think it's yeah. is it Yu Wong Ping doing the it is so, yeah yeah he's yeah. on the plane at the beginning. Talking to a lady. Of course he is. Yeah, yes. yeah. He's literally the first line of the of the film. Um, thankfully, the angels find Knox just kidnapped nearby because, of course, uh, Knox, by the way, played by the one and only Sam Rockwell. He gets a dancing later in on. In like Don't one worry. of his first roles. Yeah, really. Yeah, early. I mean, well, not Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles early, but no. like one of his first roles as a grown ass man. This yeah. is one of his first. Oh, he does the dance in every film yes. moment. So like, <laughs> oh, I see. Okay, this he is Sam a, a bit of a dual role in this film. Yes. He does have a bit of a transformation. Which Very we, much so. Mm, we'll, we'll get, get on to you later on. Mm. I think he's fucking great in this movie. Oh, right? he is. He, he mm. shows that he's like good and stuff. And yeah. Like, oh. Yeah. Ah, no, hang shows on. Shows his versatility. I've, sure. I've realized, because I remember what I remember seeing him and think, why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? Why do I know this guy? The answer is I knew him because I saw him in Galaxy Quest the year beforehand. Mm. That's that's yeah. just for context of similar time. He was yeah. like, yeah, this background bit, and yeah. now he's a main bad guy yeah. who's doing the splits. After the angels reunite Knox with his business partner, Vivian, Charlie explains that they must determine whether the thin man has stolen Knox's voice recognition software. The angels infiltrate Red Star headquarters, full the security systems, and plant the device on the central computer that will enable them to control it remotely. They retire for the night after giving Bosley the laptop to monitor Red Star. Standard spy bollocks, basically. Mm -hmm. Sure. Uninspiring, it's, it's but fine. It's very kind of ripping off Mission Impossible. The, yeah. the Mission Impossible heist, especially the the like, um, the like the Langley heist from the yes. 97 film. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but in a much more like, we're allowed to get silly yep. in this. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little... A little grounded in the sense that it's, you know, it's tech company stuff because it's the year, you know, it mm. would have been shot in 1999. Yes. So it's still Y2K or like computers. Uh, hilariously, like the big, essentially the big threat in this film is, my God, what if a telecommunications company could know where you were at all times? Fucking seriously. And it's yeah. like, ah. jump what forward 10 could... years and that's exactly what What happened? if devices could recognize your voice? Yeah. <gasps> Think of all the things that could be done. We're doing it to ourselves, mate. Hey, Siri. Ah, <laughs> just triggered all that for everybody at home. Alexa, play the latest episode of Sequelizers. Oh, wait, you're already doing it. Yeah. Nailed it. That worked. Dylan takes up Knox's offer to spend the night with him, and she seduces him. That's basically her character. <laughs> she shags the bad guy. It's true. She's also the bad guy. Because he reveals himself as the bad guy. And goes from like, oh, meek little, hey, do you want to, you want some potatoes and stuff? To cool, smoking, doing the splits, badass. Yep. And I even love like, they, again, the production designer and the costume designer were talking about how he wears like a baggy shirt and yeah, khaki yeah. trousers and stuff when they first meet him. And then when he's evil, he's in a black vest. He gets sexy. He gets yeah. sexy and everything is like super tight. And tight black and heels. Tight black and heels. Mm. And he just does that splits. And I'm like, God damn, Sam Rockwell. You're one of my faves for a reason. He's the <laughs> best. Anyway, he reveals himself as a bad guy. And Vivian also reveals that she's in on it. And there's some weird power couple thing. Sure. Mm -hmm. And somehow he shoots Dylan through a window. 
and they play it backwards and it's a cool like slow motion thing and it's ridiculous but on brand uh, Bosley is captured by Vivian and the angels regroup at their HQ but the building explodes oh my god also Alex's souffle gets ruined that's very true very got a yeah Notoriously terrible I mean, cook. I was going to say Alex. ruined. It was ruined before. <laughs> yeah. It was, it was Our unstoppable be... bulletproof muffins. Yeah. Ill-fated food. Yes. Knox plans to use the satellite system combined with his voice recognition software to find and kill Charlie, who he oh, believes no. killed his dad. Mm. That's his motivation, essentially. Yeah. Dylan finally scrambles away, traumatizes or sexually awakens some kids <laughs> why not both <laughs> and reunites with natalie and alex who also survived attacks on henchmen and all that kind of stuff they approach charlie's office which is on a beach somewhere and the building explodes again <laughs> so many yeah. explosions they're able to communicate with bosley he's been captured by the way and a local bird natalie's knowledge of local birds give away gives away his location and I forgot that she perfectly replicates the bird call. Like, oh yeah, you know. Okay, yep, this is a cartoon. Mm-hmm. This is this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And it's an abandoned lighthouse. I can't remember where they say specifically, somewhere else. Somewhere in California. Somewhere in California. Palo Alto or something like somewhere mm, I've never heard sure. of. Sure. <laughs> With the help of the Chad. Tom Green's character, uh, yeah. Dylan's ex boyfriend. And a weird autistic fisherman, I guess. It's Tom Green doing his bit. It's Tom Green being Tom Tom Green, Green, basically, yeah. yeah. Because he was Drew Barrymore's partner at the time. Yes. The angels make their way to the lighthouse in his weird little dinghy thing. Uh, Upon finding Knox, Dylan is captured again by his henchman and is tied up. This is teasing Matt's little entrance line here. It's true. The angels are too late to stop Knox from determining Charlie's location, though they rescue Bosley while Dylan fights off her captors. She does the whole splits thing and, oh, my light is not working, so I have to beat you all up with my hand tied behind my back. Mm. Does the whole uh, different kung fu poses and stuff as she kicks all the rest. I'm going to bounce off your head and kick your teeth in and then moonwalk out of here. And her moonwalk is fucking terrible. It is a very bad. She's just kind of running yeah, man backwards. Yeah. yeah. Despite the fact Michael Jackson plays, listen, it's not a moonwalk. Listen, they had all that training for the wire work and the kung fu and stuff. They did, couldn't spare the few days it took to, to perfect Drew Barrymore's moonwalk. She teach Drew Barrymore to moonwalk. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Plus, I think it's on, like, dirt. Yes, it is. not yeah, the yeah, easiest yeah, thing to yeah, moonwalk on. Prison in the middle of nowhere. Uh, they come together to defeat Vivian, the Thin Man, and assorted henchmen in kick-ass kung fu fights, respectively. But Knox blows up the lighthouse and flies off in a helicopter towards Charlie's location. Bosley helps the angels board the helicopter, where Alex reprograms the missile to have it shoot backwards, blowing up the helicopter and killing Knox in the process. I like the fact they have to drag Dylan off of him, as she's just punching and punching yeah. and punching <laughs> yeah. as the missile's getting closer, while the angels escape to safety. Seeing the opportunity to finally meet Charlie in person, they enter the nearby beach house, but he has already left. He remotely congratulates the angels on a job well done through another speaker and treats them and Bosley to a well-earned vacation. Charlie also tells them that Knox's father was undercover. He was discovered and killed. But just to clarify, it wasn't me. Don't worry about it. Don't ask any questions. Everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) When he speaks to the angels on the telephone, he walks past them. 
while talking and somehow none of them notice and it's a bit weird. They ask like, oh, were you ever going to meet you? I'm like, oh, I'll keep my eye on you girls or something. Mm. And he's 10 feet away from them. See, and they it should can't... be like, oh, how funny, mysterious and in-joke. But even in this cartoon, where I was like, who is this creepy fucking guy? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dylan spots him sort of, and but doesn't tell anyone and then raises a toast to Charlie. It's because she's the EP. Exactly. Yes. Drew Barrymore's executive producer. She gets to have that little moment. Yeah. 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 And they all have a lovely little toast and Charlie walks off on the beach. The end. Delightful. Yeah. Delightful movie. Like I said, I really enjoyed the first one. Not just because it, it was still funny. holds up for a large portions of it. For, yeah, just it yeah. for what it is, it is very yeah. fun. Uh, Early 2000s action comedies have aged very badly. Yeah. Mm. I, I think 90s pushed a lot of interesting stuff and the pendulum... F- flipping all over the place is what the 2000s were 2010 started to sort of get into it again and start to actually find its legs but you find a wealth of really obscure fucked up like oh this is hilariously bad um and Charlie's angels is not one of them it's one of the ones that again that's why i think there's a lot of positive memories around it, a lot mm. of positive associations because um in in the landscape of what was being released at the time fuck me it was doing better than everything else was around it mm. so yeah that not entirely true for Full Throttle. Indeed. Let's journey three years into the future to a distant future of 2003. The year you think throttle. to yourself, oh, I'm going to get a Matrix sequel and a Charlie's <laughs> Angels sequel. How am I? Oh, no, um, no, no, no. You got two Matrix sequels. Oh, no. And, and, and we should point out <laughs> that something very important had happened in the years between Charlie's Angels and Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. Oh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Tim. Yes. Born Identity had come out. Oh, <laughs> Tim had one of the things. Mission Impossible else. 3. I was saying something else. Sorry, Tim. You are absolutely <laughs> right, though. That is a very important factor. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. <laughs> nah, it's fucking 9 11. Oh, yeah. Oh, because the amount of American flags is like, oh, hello. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I obviously was alluding towards that. But yeah, no. I oh, good. But Born Identity had come out, which had then suddenly the wire work which already mm. like there's a Guillermo del Toro quote I think he talks about where he's like basically like once you saw the wire work in like Charlie's Angels you knew it was on the way out kind of thing yeah mm. um and Born Identity really puts like a nail in that coffin and is hey, like crouch, crouching tigers around the corner how dare you but it's just not in the same I capacity. I know, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. I'm taking the piss um so yeah, it's very much like that style is on the way out. Yes. Um. Obviously, like the Matrix sequels still happened and stuff like that. Unfortunately, but even did, yes. even they were approaching stuff in a slightly different way by that point. Yeah, yes. with CG. Yeah. Well, anyway, this film does the same. Unfortunately, it does indeed. Fucking hell. On to full throttle. After rescuing U.S. Marshal, hello nine eleven, Ray Carter in Mongolia, the Angels and their new Bosley. Yep. His adoptive brother Jimmy, played by Penny Mac, because I guess they couldn't get Bill Murray back or whatever. Because, because Bill Murray was an absolute asshole to Lucy Lou. There you go. Uh, and awful to work with. Um, what? Which yeah. we've learned happens a lot with Bill Murray, apparently. Yeah. Matt was um, right all along. National treasure, so, my ass. And so they were all like, national treasure. let's not invite him back. Yeah. Let's get Bernie Mac instead. They're sent to recover titanium rings stolen from the U.S. Department of Justice that can reveal people in the witness protection program. 
don't ask how. <laughs> they sort of explain that there are two people who both have rings that unlock the list of witnesses or something. And it's like, cool. Yeah. A little less grounded now. A little <laughs> more, again, our, our secret awesome spies are amazing. Again, it's, it's that post 9-11 world mm. of... Yeah. A threat's real. It's like, is it technology anymore? Fuck technology. Yeah. It's the foreigns. It's like, okay. One of the owners of the ring has already been killed. Played by Bruce Willis. In a, in a mugshot, sort of. <laughs> in a weird wig <laughs> and fake beard. Yeah. The angels track a surfer assassin. I couldn't think of another way to describe him. <laughs> that's sure. what no, he that's is. Fair, that's fair. Yeah. He's very sexy and a surfer. And the fact that Dylan wants to bang him means he must be a bad guy. It's uh, just like the Chad. Rodrigo Santoro, isn't it? It is, it is Rodrigo Santoro, yeah. Xerxes. Yeah. Yes. It's all sexy man. Brazilian, I believe. I believe, possibly, yes. Yeah. Anyway. They track the surfer assassin to a beach where they meet former angel Madison Lee, played by Demi Moore. I remember the fucking press around this. This, you know, again... It, it was the idea because this was that two or three year transition from when I'm in the 2000s and I was like, oh no, we're not allowed to see this one. Mm. Like, Fuck you, do I like? Because I've got out of fucking school at that point. Mm. Um, and all the news outlets would talk about it's like, oh my god, Demi Moore looks fantastic. It's like she's not that fucking old. Um, <laughs> she looks amazing for 38 or whatever she was like. That's a, yeah, yeah. It's like, yep. is, that, is that not it? But obviously, we're still like, you know, once you're past 22, you're a cop. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, Yes, uh, good bit of casting. Mm. In the sense of like, she's an iconic, it, huge it, actor. It made things. sense. I think she is bad in this I think film. Oh. I think she's terrible. She, yeah, sorry. She, she yeah. has. She plays it entirely too seriously. That's fair. Mm, I think it could have worked. But no, what oh, I mean it is could, like, it could have. In it terms of the name and the presence of what it is, so people sure. know, oh God, that's yes. Demi Moore, as opposed yeah. to and she yeah, her performance in the role been in much for a little while that's no. what i'm saying yeah she'd been yeah, out of the, this was like her coming back yeah yes. the, at least in terms renaissance. of big films yeah the, the, Hen the, the sort of yeah. no it was never really. um but the, <laughs> the presence of her return was like shit that's a film to come back yes. in this you know yeah and bruce wilson for, no no, uh, no nobody, remembers bruce wilson, yeah. nobody remembers that uh they move on again sudden change of scene they move on to a motorbike race Featuring my birthday buddy Pink for some reason. Yes, we share yep. the same birthday, but years apart. It's because she did the song for the film. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Jesse Child won it in the first film, but Pink's in this one because they can afford Pink. Yeah. Yeah. The assassin targets another witness named Max Petroni, unfortunately, played by Shia LaBeouf. Actual cannibal and 16 years old, Shia LaBeouf. He was in a weird cycle at that point. I think he was one of the, you sort of see the face of sort of innocence at that point. <laughs> this is post holes, but pre Indiana Jones. And Transformers, yeah. Yeah. And Transformers, yeah. 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 yeah he's, he's still like quirky. Late seasons of Even Stevens. Yes, uh, very much so. Yeah, yeah. Poofy little hair. By the way, when we didn't touch on that, that fucking bike sequence is shit. It's and sad. I don't, I don't just mean like, oh, but they do that like, sort of cartoon physics stuff like, I'm going to do like a cool. I don't know the terms. Jack, you do the extreme sports. Yeah, you fucking... spelled by the X Games, man. Yeah, so they do a thing, and then they start shooting each other, and they're back on the you bikes. You do a blitz. I think that was the thing I used for oh, my character. Final Fantasy X. So, yes. <laughs> they play blitz ball. ball. Yeah. But it's the fact that the green screening in the CGI is fucking terrible. The green screen in this movie is fucking atrocious. Yeah. yeah. A lot it's, of the first it's, wonky, it's wonky in the first one, yeah. sometimes. Mm. Kind of adds to the charm of it. In a way, this yeah. This one, it's just shit. 
precisely. Mm. Again, two thousand of shit. We can fix everything with CGI. It's very yeah. much that approach. Because yeah. Uh, yeah, there's some bad CGI in the first one, but it feels like they're mostly doing stuff on set. This is whereas all, yeah, there's a lot more like we'll stick it in front of green screen and it can be anywhere. This is Star Wars prequels era as well. Don't exactly. forget, exactly the early two thousands. Yeah. Just it's a giant blue room. Go and sit on a blue thing and look at another blue thing. We'll add it all in post. It'll be fine. Computers are great these days. Yeah, they weren't. Anyway, the assassin is killed by the Thin Man. He's back. Yeah. Weird choice, but well, sure. Yeah. Crispin Glover coming back Crispin for anything Glover is always is, weird. It's, it's like, just again. so inexplicable. Yeah. Like, he's a whole B plot in this movie. Yeah. For some reason. I, 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 spoiler alert for the next like six sentences. We find out his name and origin story and shit. <laughs> Don't care. We but didn't really cool. mention much in the first film. He screams and has a big He screams and sniffs hair. some hair. Yeah. He's a, he's a creepy he's, dude. He, I mean, he's 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 classic he's like great odd villain. job. Yes, like yeah. henchman. Yeah, um, with a with a bit of a Kristen Glover, Kristen with, Glover flair. Yeah, I, he's a fucking creep. Again, apparently he had some uh, creative influence on yeah, the fucking did. He was he had full dialogue and stuff in the original draft. Yeah, didn't he say it was stupid and he wasn't going to say it? Yes, he fucking said hell. the lines were too stupid. So he's just going to scream it. <laughs> I was and like, than, oh, Crispin Glover. Yeah. That's the most Crispin Glover thing you've ever said. Rather than just firing his ass like any normal person would do, he's like, all right, well... But then yeah, okay, fair. you were just, as long as you sniff hair and scream, Crispin, yeah. we yeah. don't care. Like, but the performance of the first one was fine, so I can't really fault it, because it's like, well, it works. But yeah. the decision to bring him back is so That's inexplicable. That's the mistake. <laughs> yeah. It's like, no one was caught... Like, people were saying, like, oh, yeah, we'll watch another Charlie's Angels film. We like the actresses from the first one. And, like, What's their adventure this time? Yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, and we, uh, make sure you bring back that weird thin man everyone's, by everyone's favorite, the chain smoking creepy man yeah anyway inside the assassin's pocket the angels discover photos of previous victims and surprisingly dylan under her birth name helen zass get it ah uh, she's the real butt of the joke it's as a pun. we alluded earlier it's, a pun. it's not it's just a name that they turn into a Four-minute-long joke sequence that's not funny. Still a pun. Dylan reveals that she was in a she was a protected witness after sending her former boyfriend, Irish mob leader Seamus O'Grady, played by Justin Theroux. Not Irish. Not thoroughly. <laughs> the, the, the very thoroughly not, not Irish. Irish. Yeah. The name Theroux with an X. Yeah. <laughs> gives it away. <laughs> not Theroux. <laughs> I'm Justin Theroux. <laughs> Justin Theroux. I'm adding nothing to that. No, I didn't think so. O'Grady has since targeted those who have wronged him, including Dylan and Petroni, whose parents O'Grady killed. Yeah, you're tying it all together. Sure. Don't care. At an orphanage, yep, just change of scene again, uh, because Max was an orphan, because, you know, O'Grady killed his parents and stuff. The Mm -hmm. angels learn about the thin man's past and his real name, Anthony. Fucking hell. That's what it. What a name. Why did you say that name? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if only that was a moment. That's yeah, the boy. name of the ant in Ant-Man. Yeah. Yeah. Played by Crispin Glover. <laughs> <laughs> it screams you and did, sniffs women's hair. You didn't know it, but it's true. <laughs> he just showed up one day offering to do motion capture. <laughs> yeah. He had his own suit and everything. Yeah. Explains Paul Rudd can lie on me. It's fine. It's like, okay. <laughs> can I sit on Paul Rudd's shoulder? <laughs> Go on then, Crispin. Click, 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 click. Yeah. <laughs> Afterwards, the angels track O'Grady's mob down and manage to get the rings, but O'Grady threatens Dylan with the murder of everyone she loves. (laughs) 
Good old Justin Theroux. I, I looked off to an office-style camera that wasn't there. <laughs> Just like... <laughs> yeah, pretty this, much. I mean, this is where... Um, and we'll get into why this film's bad. But, like, as weird as it is to have Justin Theroux playing, like, a Irish mobster, um, he is so much more a compelling villain with, like, a personal vendetta against Drew Barrymore's mm-hmm. character. But he's not the bad guy nope. in this. He's no. just he's like a sub bad guy. He's but actually then, but then, having but, a personal but, connection to one of the angels. Yeah. Yes. Because of their whole like secret identities and mm. stuff. He's actually quite interesting. That's an A plot. It, it's mm. it, for me, and, and this is drawing a parallel to I'm being very generous here. It's like Hush to Batman. When mm. Thomas Elliot has a vengeance and a grudge against Bruce Wayne. Mm. He doesn't give a shit about Batman. Mm. He wants to get Bruce Wayne. And you're like, oh, oh, he has a personal vendetta against the man, mm. not the Batman. That's mm. really interesting. Mm. Could have done something interesting with that. Of like, yeah, and, he mm. knows that Dylan's under a secret identity in the witness protect. Nope. And this whole spit mm. dominates the middle third of this film. Yeah. Like it feels, and and I know there's plot stuff running through it where he's like, after the witnesses after the ring so he can get the witnesses that put him away and stuff yep. like that but it's like it feels like the film goes down one route with with this being what We're it's about, about a hard turn and business. then it does a hard turn and goes like actually oh no we remembered mm. we have Demi Moore in this film as well yeah he also has a fucking nasty greaser look like he's from he does i mean the he, band lit he, yeah he <laughs> he looks like a real 2003 arsehole yes yeah like the band lit did <laughs> anyway <laughs> Natalie attends Pete's high school reunion, total whiplash, where she overhears his friends implying he might be ready to propose, which she feels is too fast, and she all starts worrying about overcommitment and stuff. Alex returns home while Dylan leaves the Angels and heads to Mexico. When Natalie, Bosley, and Alex notice the letters she left for them, they realise that Dylan has fled to protect them. She's gone into witness protection, sort of. (laughs) Natalie asks Charlie how O'Grady got out of jail, and Charlie reveals someone had him released on good behaviour. While in Mexico, Dylan is convinced to return after seeing an apparition of former angel Kelly Garrett. Who is the only one who was in all of the show. Correct. Yes. For people who yes. have no awareness of the original show. Yeah. Indeed. Um, I always found it weird that she's like, oh, I need to protect you guys. Like, We've established everybody can handle themselves extremely yeah. fucking well. It's a thing where... The cartoony nature of them being like unkillable mega badasses and then suddenly being very serious and being like, no, I need to do this for your protection yeah, yeah. and stuff like You could have There's... done that if if Dylan was a more vulnerable character and it, like you had chipped away at that through the first like 45 minutes of the film. And I, just you the mean name the 2019 of... Charlie's Angels. Exactly. Take it way more seriously, like the 2019 Charlie's <laughs> Angels. Well, I mean, that, that, that one is vulnerable. Yeah. So you're like, no, it makes sense to protect this person. Whereas these yeah. guys are like, no, they're a unit and they work exactly. best together. Well, it's, yeah. yeah, there's so much tonal whiplash in this. Because like we say, it's it's very live action cartoony. And then you essentially have... Irish mobster. Irish, Irish mobster who is an abusive ex who yes. has come to track down and kill yep. his former partner. And, they, and like some of it is shot in a really brutal fashion. Yeah. Like when he's beating up Fincher-esque, some might say. Some might say. I'm not that person. Nobody says that. Um, but it feels like incredible. It feels like it's come out of a different film. It does absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, Natalie and Alex deduce that Carter, 
That's right. The U.S. Marshal from the beginning is the one who let O'Grady out of prison after seeing him return Bosley's keys without any pain. But, oh, my ribs are broken. And then, oh, his ribs mm. aren't broken. What a coincidence. Following him, they witness his murder at the hands of Madison, who's the real bad guy. That's right. Demi Moore was the bad guy all along. Mm. Who knew? She Why? kills him at the Griffiths Observatory because Los Angeles has one landmark. Correct. Yep. Oh, and also City Hall. And the, and, and the Hollywood sign, I guess. There's quite a few. There's a few. There's a They get reused a we're gonna lot. Go yeah. to the, we're going to go to the Walk of Fame in a minute as well. So. Yeah, I was going to say, not, not, <laughs> not, they're not a lot of good ones. Not ones that actually look iconic and have a view. Yeah. Yeah. So Dylan arrives back to the group. The angels are shot by Madison, who takes the rings. Charlie reprimands Madison for what she's done, and she responds by shooting the speaker. I mean, that's quite funny. The angels realize that Madison is going to sell the rings to the Irish mob, Italian mafia, Yakuza, and Mexican cartel in some super group of organized crime. <laughs> it's all the foreigns. All the foreigns. At the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Sure. Yeah. Where Jason, which is Alex's on-again, off-again boyfriend, played by Mac LeBlanc, is having a film premiere. Because he's sort of Tom Cruise. His film's called, like, Objective Unlikely or something like that. Maximum Extreme There you go. Two. Maximum Extreme yes. 2, yeah. And it's M-E-2, like the thing Mission Impossible thing. Yeah. yeah, it's not good. The angels arrange for the buyers to be arrested for the by the FBI while they confront Madison and O'Grady. The O'Grady henchmen enter the melee, having avoided arrest when Seamus realized the angels' plan. The thin man comes to Angel's aid. Yes, he's an anti-hero for some reason. <laughs> Ooh. That's what we're asking for. We want the definite serial Chris killer who sniffs <laughs> women's hair Redeem played him. by Crispin Glover who does nothing but cut women's hair and scream in the first movie I can save him <laughs> he's the anti-hero he comes back helping Alex and rescuing Dylan while she is being attacked by O'Grady the thin man grabs Dylan and chokes her but then kisses her so it's fine nope then that's worse hate yeah hate that Thoroughly hate that. Oh, I can, and, I and he remember, pulls some of her hair out as well because, of course, he does. I can remember watching this in the cinema as a seventeen-year-old and being like, "This ain't right." Yeah. <laughs> and I was a dumb seventeen-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> Just as he is about to say something, he speaks. Oh no! Wait, O'Grady stabs him and he falls off the roof. There you go. It's like Kylo Ren all over again. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> Christ. O'Grady nearly succeeds in killing Dylan as well, but she blinds him, causing him to fall to his death. Apparently, there's an unrated cut where the Thin Man and O'Grady have like a whole fight off the roof <laughs> thing, oh. and it's a whole extra like four minutes of quote-unquote action. Man-on-man no. man action. Yeah, terrible. The Angels end up fighting Madison in an abandoned theatre because films, I guess. Sure where they kick her into a chamber filled with gas for some reason, and she shoots a gun. You know, with a gas chamber. Oh, oh no. <laughs> no. I said chamber filled with gas. Thank you very much. And the gun explodes the gas. She blows herself up, basically. Hoisted by your own petard. In a theater full of gas chambers. Bizarre. But with the villains defeated, Angels attend Jason's <laughs> premiere, 
where they learn that Mama Bosley is adopting Max because he went into other witness protection earlier, hanging out with Bosley's mum. Yeah, because Shia LaBeouf is hanging out with Bosley's mum. Sure. Pete surprises Natalie by asking her to get a puppy. Oh, that was the question he was going to ask. Everything's fine. That's also a big commitment. Just folks, yeah. puppies are not for Christmas or yeah. at film premieres. That's a big deal. Mm. That's a thing you've got to keep alive <laughs> and fed. Yeah. And watered and walked. you got to scoop poops. Cost like, of Living Crisis. You gotta check out Cost of Living Crisis. Thank, yeah. thank you, Matthew. Cost of Living Crisis in 2003. You can, divorce, even... you can divorce a partner. You can't divorce a dog. There you go. Thank you, Tim. And Alex finally reunites with Jason. The Angels celebrate their victory with Bosley. Yay, the end of this fucking movie. Yeah, so again, it's the idea that the first one... Uh, yes, okay, obviously everything's aged badly from the early 2000s. There's not a lot of it that's mass-produced mainstream media. It doesn't when it's going this sort of road. But overall, it's still an entertaining film. It still mm. whole, it has aged surprisingly well because of the practical effects. Um, and there is an endearing, genuine and earnest friendship that is at the center of it, which makes it much more compelling. And you can sort of almost glaze over a lot of the other stuff because you go, ah, these people are having a good time. Mm. It's made for the right reasons, it feels like, at least. Yeah. The sequel feels more like, I think you've described him, a capitalist cash grab. It feels more mm. leaning. So the, the CGI takes over. There's a fucking helicopter thing at the start and it's yep. all like this looks like shit um a lot and, of crap yeah it's, and it's frustrating we haven't had like we've had a lot of like either truly terrible films to start with or like films where the first one was good and then the second one's either like good but in a different way or it takes it in a weird direction or, or whatever yeah. this is a very much a classic like the first one's good and then the like second one, one is get it. the second one just feels like everything from the original, but just like downgrade it by three steps yeah, of quality. It learned, it learned yeah. all the wrong lessons from the first film. Like fuck it, do all of those things. Like yeah, like, gee, are you, are you sure? Like all the consideration of the costumes, and yet the costumes look cheap as fuck in the second film. Yeah, that's the thing. Like there's not there's not a single thing where you can point out and go like, oh, this is the thing that's fucking this movie up to a great degree. Uh, no, no, it's just a lot of low, gr- just like. It, almost everything is slightly worse. It's I, like they yeah. oh they switch to do more on CGI than on the practical stunts, and those look bad. And Demi Moore is like I I think is bad. Mm, <laughs> but, I agree. But but certainly not as an interesting charismatic performance as Sam Rockwell gives, or even Tim Curry to be frank. Sure, sure. Like they Tim just Curry. make like they make some weird decision, like the fucking thin man coming back and being a love interest, and and Carrie. Fisher is there as a nun who would yeah flashback the whole thing it it tries to overcomplicate the plot like the first one has a blessedly simple plot because it doesn't need to be complex and this one like we said it it goes off in these weird directions with like oh now it's a film about like Dylan's past and then that doesn't matter at all anymore yes Um, things are picked up and dropped very quickly yeah it just feels like an overall just like massive downgrade from the first yeah i'd absolutely agree with that um and subsequently i feel it's a weird one we we cross this bridge quite a few times when it comes to fixing them because you're like oh bring back the original crew bring mm. back the people who you know made it what it was said it a couple of years afterwards and it's like that's what happened yeah oh 
don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I guess bring in a new crew. And yeah. So, yeah, it's still going to be Drew Barrymore at the center of it. She's still pivoting in certain ways. Like, oh, it's really important Tom Green's in it for some reason. Like, <laughs> why? Because I'm going with Tom Green. I'm the executive producer. Fuck you. And it's like, I'm sure. <laughs> McGee should do this. And we should have a bathroom that looks exactly like The Shining. Why? Yeah. Oh, you know, there's film. a there are a lot of film references in, really? in the sec, especially in the second one. There's a few scattered around in the, in the first one, but like yeah. the the opening of the of the first one when they're rescuing uh, Robert Patrick from uh, Mongolia, mm-hmm. of course. There's like it it does a it tries to do like a one. It's very much one of those like hidden cuts oneers um, that isn't totally one. Uh, but it, there's a whole um, Marion's drinking contest in Raiders of the Lost Ark homage in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And stuff like that. And then Cameron Diaz shows up as a Scandinavian bull rider thing. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I guess it's just a less exciting version of your dance scene from the first one, which was also awkward and weird. Yeah. And like white saviory in a weird way. Like a white girl <laughs> dancing in Soul Train. Like, mm. Yeah, mm, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The the Soul Train sequence in the first one is bad. They're at least aware awkward. of it because all well, the thing yes, is, the joke and... is meant to be like that. She can't dance, and that's why it's funny. But yeah. she's a fucking great dancer, which is why it's yeah. yeah, yeah. And then all all the people of color are like, the white what the white woman's great. Turns out she's all right, and they all start dancing. Mm. Like, okay, yeah. And I think it's I, again. I think a lot of it with terms of like the references to the things that are being drawn into the. Again, I think a lot of it comes down to mostly negatively, McGee, where he's like, "Oh, I'm a music video director, but I'm going to do some film stuff." And to prove I know film, here's a reference to a 1950s movie yeah. that nobody actually cares about. And not, I mean, like you know, in, in the way that, oh, you know, I I put a thing in a movie and it's like, oh, that's interesting. It's like, yeah, because mm. I love it, but you don't need to know about it. It's there because it is. Rather than I, we've perfectly replicated the bar. Again, I can't go over that. In the first film, they perfectly replicate the bathroom from The Shining. <laughs> yes. Why? Yeah. Because they could. Is it just the say, produ- like, I pro- know film. I'm honestly a filmmaker. The production yeah. team were just having a great time. From yeah. what I understand. I get that, but fucking hell. Anyway, so again, I think the first one's aged surprisingly all right. Mm. Second one was always lambasted as being quite shit. The, mm. the 2019 version had interesting potential. Again, everyone turned up to make a very different movie. On paper, sound like a fucking brilliant idea. Execution, as we mentioned it, it gets a little better as it goes through, but it's never good. It's mm. always like, ah, I wanted this to be great. Yep. I didn't want to be joining the chorus of people saying it's a shit film because of all the other fucking yeah. male critics are doing the same thing for different reasons. And yet here I am saying, yeah, sorry, it's a not a good film. Piss. It's, it's a little bit like the fucking ghostbusters thing where it's like yeah. i don't i don't want to be one of the people saying like oh female ghostbusters can't do rape in my childhood blah 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 but it's sure. just not a good that that good of films no it's it's a very meh um, experience which to be fair female filmmakers and female driven properties should be allowed to be perfectly mediocre yeah uh, and that should not mean that we don't get any more of them because but they represent all the women Tim. yeah <laughs> one, fails, one fails, all fails. Fails. yes yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. you know it, it, it's the thing of like there's so many mediocre male property male driven properties out there that get chance and chance again oh, or, yeah. 50, or are not yeah. seen as like well we can't have any more of those but you know look how three fucking shit expendable films yeah white guys are very good at failing up 
especially in Hollywood. History. Oh, the, you know, Transporter didn't make its budget back at the, the cinema, so we can't have any more films <laughs> about, <laughs> like, badass white men. Yeah. Like, that's never going to be the case. No more bald men. Transport, which is like, yeah, three or four of those fucking things. Yeah, exactly. So, um, Tim. Hello. It's your job to fix it. I'm very curious where we're going with this, so... Hmm. Mm, Me too. Indeed. Me too. Let's get to it. Bum puzzle. This week, we are sponsored by Audible. You know Audible. It is a massive digital library of thousands upon thousands of titles, audiobooks, podcasts, comedy specials, guided fitness and wellness, basically everything you could want for your digital audio needs. Stick in your ears and enjoy. And sequelizers. We're on there too. We're a podcast. Oh my God. With grown-up adult podcast mm. on proper platforms mm. like the one you're listening to right now. That's true. Uh, so that is what Audible offers. And if you are not already a member, then you should become one because we're offering you a sneaky way to get in and get some extra stuff. If you go to audibletrial.com slash sequel, you can get a month free on us. And what's more, you can get a free audiobook as part of that. My God, you're welcome. And even even if you don't stay a member, you get to keep that book. That's yours now. At least until <laughs> Jeff Bezos takes it away. It's yours now. It's yours until it isn't. <laughs> we like to give people a recommendation. Uh, this week, why not check out Wildflower by Drew Barrymore? Ooh. Ah. Uh, a memoir, her second memoir, because she has had... A very eventful life. Yeah, fucking hell. Um, and uh, this is her kind of uh, sort of giving anecdotes and advice as well. Uh, it's narrated by her. She is a wonderful narrator as well as a writer. Uh, and I, I can heartily recommend it. So you can check out that book or any other book of your choice and get them for free on Audible by going to audibletrial.com slash sequel. Get a month free and an audiobook on us. Audible, stick it in your ears. It's time for me to reveal what I'd done to fix this this movie. But before we get to that, I believe, Matt, you are the angel of Rotten Tomatoes this week. Yes. Do not be afraid, Tim. <laughs> for I bring you glad tidings and good news. <laughs> in tomato form. And, and fresh tomatoes. Possibly. Um, <laughs> so, um, this is, is should come as no surprise. We're going to do Rotten Tomatoes for three movies oh. to guarantee no tie, hopefully. Um, in case this is your first episode of Sequelizers or you just joined us for season 11. Hello! Hope you're enjoying yourself. Um, we do a Rotten Tomatoes thing where we have um, two of our number guess the Rotten Tomatoes percentage on these movies. And we then also talk about the, uh, the audience reaction as well. We fully appreciate these numbers fluctuate as more reviews are taken down and added. Um, we also know that it is hideously inaccurate. Um, Sometimes for straight up the wrong movie. Absolutely. Wrong film or three out of five is, or six out of 10. Uh, those two things are both fresh and or rotten. Sometimes <laughs> it's very hard to gauge what it could be. So it should be fresh for the record. It should be. It should be. So it's very frustrating in that regard. But um, 
it's uh it's a nice friendly fun thing for us to do get a bit of a gauge for things it ends up being a bit of a talking point as well um and it's a fun thing for us to, to just it's silly bollocks it really like is. charlie's angels it's usually Ooh. just a prompt for us to shout at either critics or audience members yes and by, which, by which we mean people who vote on Rotten Tomatoes. Yes, yes. yes. And also it gives a chance to solidify our own opinions as well if you haven't already had those. Like, oh, I don't agree with that. Or, oh, you know what? Fair play, that kind of thing. So the films will be Charlie's Angels, mm-hmm. Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, mm-hmm. and Charlie's Angels. Ah. Yeah. Um, uh, I don't need to explain them anymore, that I don't think. I think it's all quite clear cut. So I'm we're going to go so. to Jack first. Jack. Hey, Matthew. It's going to be reasonably positive, I reckon. Not crazy, not too low, not too high. I'm thinking sort of around the sort of 70, 75-ish mark. I'll go 69, dude. Percent, please. How droll. (laughs) Tim. I mean, I was very much thinking the same sort of area. Yeah, you were. Um, (laughs) How... Droll. <laughs> I'm giving Tim the eyes. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna guess. It's a Lovecraftian is monster. Is that what that is? <laughs> <laughs> Christ! Uh, it's a bit Robert <laughs> Atkinson. <laughs> How rude. Uh, <laughs> I'm gonna go a bit higher. Oh. I'm gonna think this was well received for what it was at the time, and then we've probably got a few retroactive reviews which have probably split straight down the middle with people going, there's a lot about this that's problematic. Sure. And then people going, ah, it's all just in fun, though. Mm. Uh, and some nostalgic positivity. So let's say 78%. Okay, okay. Charlie's Angel, full throttle. I thought Charlie's Angel just won. Charlie's Angel, singular, <laughs> throttling away. <laughs> Samaya. Uh, we started with Jack. Let's return to Jack. Hey, hello. Um, Got to be lower. Is it? It can't be massive. It's not a classic sequelizer's like 50 or 60. It's, I don't think it's going to be as low mm. as like the teens or something like that. But Ooh. I'm at 69. I will take 44. I just took 25 off. No, I get it. Makes complete sense. Hold it out of my arms. Yeah, 44%, please. Tim. I had a number very affixed in my head. Was it 44? It was not 44. Uh, I'm going to stick with it, but it's going to look like I'm making a dick move. Is it 45? It was 45. Fuck you, Tim. Okay, okay, interesting. And finally, Charlie's Angels. 2019. 2019. It's weird that they... I mean, I understand why they didn't bother giving it like some kind of subtitle. It's the trend. But then they very explicitly make it so that it's in continuity with the yeah, other they do. two. I mean, you've got Halloween followed by Halloween. Yeah. yeah. So God of War and God of War. They yeah. also do yeah. some fucking thing. awful Photoshop putting Patrick Stewart's head yes, on Bill do. Murray's body yes, and they the, do. That's whoever true. played Bosley originally. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And I that don't guy. understand why they didn't just have him dress up in those costumes and then Photoshop his whole figure. Can't afford to pay for Patrick Stewart that. 
It's like an extra day of getting him to try on different clothes. Yeah. And also, they might have only thought about that in post. Well, we'll see if it's Yeah. Good point, though. Jack. Oh, yeah. Um, I think it's probably not that far off from full throttle. I think I think it's crap, but it's not. Again, it's not terrible, but unbearable shit. Mm. It's just crap. Uh, I'll drop another. Mm, I'll go down another ten percent, a thirty-four for okay. uh, twenty nineteen, please. Yeah. yeah, I think this got a bit of a critical drubbing. Um. Probably not quite that much. Yeah, I'm, I'm worried I've gone a bit low there. I'm, I'm going to say... <sighs> Let's be generous and give it 50. Wow. Okay, okay, okay. Well, uh, positively, we have a winner. Yay! Hey. But that was mathematically very likely either way. Hey! This is one in the middle. But mm. I don't think we had any we could be in the middle of. And, yeah. Here we go. Charlie's Angels, the first film. Uh, pretty much, actually, what I was saying, the idea with the people at the time were like, oh, no, this is crap. This, is, this has always mm. been that kind of mindset, that, that pushback. It's uh, 68%. Wow. That's so close. It is extremely oh close. God, I have to go and review it and become a Bump critic. Bump it up. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, audience score is fascinating. Oh, I I hadn't even thought about the audience score. I'm fascinated by this. I reckon audience score is gonna be like eighty-five. Jack, gonna stab at it. Um, yeah, I reckon it's gonna be pretty high. Mm. Seventy. Yeah, no, fuck you guys. It's forty-five. Fuck. Wow. Oh, because really? oh, it's all fucking Rotten Tomato minimists. Mm, yep. That's fucking idiots. Told you. This film has the kind of people things. who spend spend their precious time. We are all mortal, and some of you are deciding to review bomb She Hulk. Yeah, with the time that you have on this earth, it's like that'll show them. Show who? Yeah, they're still going to keep honest, making this. Stuff. Honestly, I re- I mean, I I'm fairly sure, given that how vocal we are with our various opinions, that none of the people who listen to us are those kind of folk. But if this message somehow finds you, just look at your life and think about what you're doing with, with your time. Yeah. You're on the right side of history. Sorry. Change. We, we believe you can change. But also... 45. Fuck me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Chinese Angels Full Throttle. 41. Oh. Jack Close again. Oh, yeah. Oh, shit. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Thought I was around the other way. By the way, you've now made that Jack won two of those. Uh, audience score. You guys want to stab? Bearing in mind what the first one got. <laughs> like 10%. Fucking hell. Yeah, but who cares about this film? People would review bomb the first one because we're women. Mm. Did enough people even care about the second one to review bomb it? Is my question. <sighs> about the same, like 40-ish probably, something like that would be my guess. Yeah, that might be the case. I could be completely torn no, no, on no, my no. ass. You are bang the fuck Oh, yeah. It's exactly 40. Hello. Because I think it's like, yeah, yeah, same thing. It's like, oh, yeah, look, the same amount of detractors yeah. and things. Um, Bunch of women doing stuff. Don't want them doing it. Things get a little interesting here. Oh, no. This is a Ghostbusters review bombing kind of thing, possibly. Um, Charlie's Angels 2019. Uh-huh. 52%. Oh, okay. From the critics. From the critics. Right, fuck me. Okay. And 
Tim obviously got that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, we're we're talking about arguably only 16 points lower than the original Charlie's Angels from the 2000s. Which mm-hmm. again, if you ask people who watch these films, they're going, mm, don't know about that. Which is why Rotten Tomatoes is a hideously weird gauge, but that's why we, why we bring up this competition. Yeah. Now, here's the fucking thing. Uh-oh. It's got the highest. <laughs> Charlie's Angels user 2019's user reviews is the highest number yeah. of all of them. With seventy eight percent off, I don't. I, I of all ones, I would assume would be review bombing. Like, yeah, yeah, because that, that's, that's so, it's, it's a prime we're, target. We're for in it. the age of menonist review bombers, aren't we? So yeah, uh, there it is. So bloody hell, I don't know what to do with that one. But there we go. Now nah, you all have that information. I guess maybe there was a backlash against the expectation it would be review bombed. A bunch of people went out of their way to be like, "No, it's good actually." I, and boosted it. Maybe. Yeah, I think it also yeah, its release knows? schedule was fucked and slipped under the radar for a lot of people. Yeah. It was I, I remember it being like, oh, it's supposed to come out in twenty nineteen. I think it was like a couple of delays every now and then. There was yeah. a lot of issues with it to start mm. with. I, I seem to recall loosely. But also it was around the time of the pandemic brewing at this point. Yeah. So it was already a bit of a weird release schedule. I remember the posters being on the buses for ages. Which might have been because then it was pandemic and yeah. They, and they yeah. Couldn't yeah. Take <laughs> there was off. no films coming out to yeah. change them for. Yeah, Charlie's Angels patrolling empty streets. Fascinating. It really is. It'd be fascinated to see the data science behind some of those numbers, but I'm doubting we... Wait until we get server access behind the scenes at Rotten Tomatoes. Feels like, like, release the JFK files. Jesus (laughs) Christ. In 60 years' time, we'll know the truth behind the Rotten Tomatoes files. Start filling out my freedom of information requests (laughs) to Rotten Tomatoes. Show me your numbers, you fuck. Um, so yeah, with those numbers in mind, um, it's a weird audience to try and placate. It's a weird people to try and please. Again, I still maintain there is a huge cultural footprint of Charlie's Angels that kind of does and doesn't exist in terms of like, if you say Charlie's Angels to a majority of like age demographic stuff, they'll pull a pose. If like, and people might even hear that seventies theme tune kind of thing, especially mm. in our generation and upwards. There you go. Um, he's in the John Williams we're, we're game. Old, by the way. Fucking hell. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I don't think anyone actually is crying out for this. I think people are happy to have that memory in the past. Yeah. It's like they like the idea of Charlie's Angels, the idea of being like, oh, I'm going to be kung fu, kick ass, and a badass, and I sleep with who I want, and be just a cool secret agent. Like, mm. great, yeah. Do you want to make another one of those movies? Oh, I don't need more of it. I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. I think just the just the the world and the nature uh, of what is available to people has evolved. Yeah. There's so many more if you if you're looking for a mediocre f- female-driven action film, there are a lot more out there for you now. That's or true. even a good female-driven action <laughs> film. <laughs> Steer uh, towards those, yeah. Yeah. Um so yeah, I think the the fact that it had a little bit of a niche, uh, especially at the time mm. uh, in the two thousands, means it it occupies a larger place in the brain for people yes. than trying to come up with the same film now. Absolutely. So I'm very curious what you're going to do with this, Tim. Yeah. What's what, your plan? What the hell are you doing? Tim? Okay. My film comes out in two thousand and three. Fair, fair enough. enough. Same year as Charlie's Angels Full Throttle. I think, to be fair, you, you'd struggle to release it any other time. Yep. Around about the time of the seminal uh, Skate Jam 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Year before. Uh, it'd be amusing if we set all our films in 2003. <laughs> that's, that's the rule is every yeah. film needs to be made in the 2000s. Yeah. So even, even when the original came yes. out in like 2018. We do, we do prequels now. Yeah. <laughs> they prequel now? One they prequel now. <laughs> Fucking Rise of Skywalker. Oh, Sorry, God. Uh, one thing we didn't touch on is yeah. the name of Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, which is just completely arbitrary and makes There's no sense. There's a bike scene. What do you want? I guess because of the motorbike bit. Like, yeah. But but that is just not a, a definitive th- no, thing. Yeah. It's just a throwaway action scene, essentially. So I've changed that. Okay. Good. Uh, my film is called Charlie's Angels Heaven Sent. Ah. That makes complete sense. Pun, Matthew. Um. Is that a pun, Tim? I mean, it's a kind of play on words more a than play a pun. On words, yeah. But it's, a bit I mean, it's, 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 it's the just same a field, isn't it? Same area. Yeah. But not the same thing. So, Netball I, or basketball. <laughs> I was torn about whether or not to retain McGee. Oh. I'm going to make a fucking bet right now. And, Tim, I hope this is no insult against you, your personality, or character. What you stand Zack for. Zack Snyder. I don't see McGee coming back. I feel Tim was torn, but I don't know where Tim landed at the end of the day. It was get rid of him. Now, I, Tim has got him here. Oops. I would, I would, <laughs> I would assume you've gone non McGee. I have gone non McGee. Hey! I um, get. So, yeah. I think, like we said, it's. It's, in a, a, way, it's a weird one, for sure. Yeah, in a way. A lot of what makes the first film good is down to him, but it also a lot of what makes the first film bad is down to him. Yeah, we established early, exactly. Um, so I, I, I was kind of thinking to myself, I was like, what, what do we gain by losing him and what do we gain by keeping him? Um, and I mm-hmm. think there's more opportunity for gains by moving on to someone new. I agree. However, like McGee, this will be this person's film directorial debut. Okay, no shame. Interesting. No and problem with that. Imp- probably a first for sequelizers. Oh, fucking hell. Uh-oh. It's Th- a hamster. This person has never made a feature film. That is a first. Tim. That is bold, Tim. I think I jokingly picked myself once, but... <laughs> <laughs> I assume this is someone considerably more professional than myself. Well, oh, this is. I'm hoping it's just. Well, I'm not hoping is the wrong word. Sorry, mm. Tim. I'm expecting this to be just, just some bloke a off music the video person or a TV person, but they've still proven uh, themselves as yeah, a director, right, yeah, just not, not just in film. Some game. person off the streets. Matt, when you said music video director, you were spot on. Yeah, well, that ah, makes sense. That makes okay, sense. Okay, okay. And this, we've seen it can work, so I'm not mm-hmm. gonna. Yeah, David Fincher. This is someone <laughs> who, at date of recording has directed over 300 music videos. Fuck me, okay. <laughs> All for lit. Um, I've got my Google fingers and thumbs at the ready, I, I have I have a list here of some of the ones that... Uh, Brilliant. Oh, on. okay. So I, sh- I shall go through that. But it's by, yeah. obviously, by no means, an exhaustive list. No, if we have a list of 300, I'm editing it out. Yeah. Uh, the director I'm going for is Sophie Muller. Okay. Uh, and just to give you pretend I know her. an example of her work. So prior to 2003... She has directed uh, Stay by Shakespeare's sister. Already. Mm, Venus like is a Boy by Bjork. Oh, shit. Say It Ain't So by Weezer. Oh, yes. Don't Speak by No Doubt. Hell yeah. Song 2 by Blur. I Might Be Feature, Wrong. Featured by... in Charlie's Angels. <laughs> yeah. I Might no, Be no, Wrong by Radiohead. Freak Like Me by The Sugar Babes. Oh, that's a good one. Going on to post-2003 work. 
Mr. Brightside by The Killers. Never heard of it. Bleed Like Me by Garbage. Hips Don't Lie by Shakira. Not Ready to Make Nice by The Chicks, aka The Dixie Chicks, but they don't. They don't have the word ditzy in their name anymore. Good, good, good for them. Good, good for them. Sex on Fire by Kings of Leon. Oh. Stay by Rihanna. Good for You by Selena Gomez. Don't Delete the Kisses by Wolf Alice. And There's on, some really and nicely... It sounds a stupid thing to say, but I'm going to say it. Mm. Really nicely lit videos. Yeah. I can see a lot of them in my head as being these interesting, usually chamber piece things in one room kind of thing as well. Yeah. But that's really... Yeah, good shout, Tim. I think it's very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um. And also, yeah, female director—it's always a positive. I thought yeah. I thought that would yeah. be a positive thing to bring onto the franchise. Absolutely. Make it—I'm sure there will still be some male gazy bits because executive producers exist. Drew Barrymore is going to insist on it. Yep. <laughs> also, Deja Vu by Beyonce to turn back into Destiny's yep. Child. Oh yeah. I believe his favorite Coldplay song. None of them. <laughs> <laughs> she, she did fix you as well. Yeah. Uh, I think she did some pink ones around this time as Correct. well. So we yes. might still get a pink cameo. Who knows? <laughs> You, Tim. <laughs> yep. Uh, so, yes, she is the director that I have chosen. Um, mm. Like I say, never done a feature film. Um, I think she did a TV movie once early in her career, and that's about it. But again, as we've always maintained, uh, if this franchise starts with the exact same situation, you can't fault that. You yeah. can not say, like, well, she's never done a... She, we haven't got the evidence now. It's like, yeah, and in that universe, neither did McGee. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I, I absolutely would back you on that entirely. That makes sense. And also yeah. we have an example of her working a set, working a production. I mean, like, for example, um, uh, I don't that she did this, but Toxic by Britney Spears, for example, at the time, was one of the most expensive music videos ever made, mm. costing a small fortune. It's literally a short film. Yes. It's just do that yeah, on a, a lot, lot of scale. music videos mm. have gone that direction. Haven't they? Yeah, precisely. Mm. Sorry, so very good show, very good show. Interesting. Okay. So, returning cast. Some fairly obvious picks here. Thank Christ. Okay. Natalie Cook, played by Cameron Diaz. Hell yeah. Dylan Sanders, played by Drew Barrymore. Hell yeah. Alex Monday, played by Lucy Liu. Thank God for that. We have, coming back, as Jason Gibbons, Matt LeBlanc, and as Pete Kaminsky, Luke Wilson. Nice. Okay. Okay. And John Forsyth, or rather his voice, returning once again as the voice of Charles Townsend. Hello, Angels. Uh, his final role before his death in, yes. I think he died in 2009? I think yep. it was, yeah, yeah. Sometime around then. I mean, he wasn't doing much outside of Charlie's Angels. Uh, no. <laughs> New cast. As James Bosley. Ah. Yes. John Bloody Hanna. Oh. John Hanna. Fucking John Hanna. <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so obviously at this point he's done Four Weddings and a Funeral, Sliding Doors, and the mummy, the mummy yeah. and the mummy returns yeah. at this point. Mm. Goes on to be in the Last Legion, Spartacus on TV, and Agents of Shield on TV. Mm-hmm. Is he doing a Bill Murray voice? <laughs> <laughs> no, he is Scottish in this film. Nice. Oh, he's a Scottish. Yep. Hello, angels. Yeah. All right. <laughs> As Farringdon Pierce. <laughs> oh, good name. Alan Cumming. <laughs> oh. oh God, we've got already. Paris Cots. <laughs> yeah. Uh, obviously, he's done Goldeneye, Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion. Son of the Mask. Not, Not quite yet. at this Not point. Yet. Spy Kids he's been in. Yes. Same year as he's in X2. Oh, yeah. Uh, and then obviously goes on to be in Son of the Mask and a bunch of other stuff. Mm. Nothing else matters after Son of the Nothing Mask. Nothing else matters. As Whitney Armstrong. 
Mm-hmm. Michelle Pfeiffer. Oh. Uh, do we sense a potential Demi Moore moment here mm. of a former angel? I, I'm not guessing things, but from casting, that's where I assume we're going. Mm. Let's just... Tim's making a face <laughs> I can't describe, <laughs> but it was very... Interesting. Delicious. It was. <laughs> I was. Delicious. I was aiming for puckish. Oh, <laughs> I, I absolutely would say that's a very good description. What you were coquettish. I would go for. But you know. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so obviously, Grease Two, our favourite film. Yeah. Uh, uh, M from Verbal Diorama's favourite film. Uh, yeah. She literally just did her anniversary yeah, episode on yeah. it. It was a great episode. I still hate that movie. Yeah. I mean, yeah. everyone's got a passion. And cool rider can wrong. fuck off in the bin. Sorry. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Uh, Scarface, Batman Returns, uh, and more recent to this, What Lies Beneath. Yes. Oh, um, yeah. She kind of takes a little bit of a break around this point. She does. Uh, but then she comes back. She does Stardust. Uh, she does the Hairspray movie. Um, uh, and more recently, she's in Mother. Mother. Uh, Mother. Uh, Ant-Man and the Wasp. And uh, another sequelizer uh, fix, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil. Oh, yeah. She so is, she is. Yeah. As Kennedy Bishop. I have Regina King. Good. Uh, Boys in the Hood, Jerry Maguire, just been in Enemy of the State at this point. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, goes on to be in Ray. Uh, she's in Southland on TV, mm. Watchmen on TV. Yeah. I've not seen it. Good director it's as good. well. Very good director. Uh, and just been in The Harder They Fall for mm-hmm, Netflix mm-hmm. Uh, mm. recently. Yes. Uh, but yeah. As Ramona Hayes, Parker Posey. Oh, she nice. fits in this universe very well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Elizabeth Banks of her day. Yes, in many <laughs> in ways. She looks kind of yeah. like her. Yeah. Uh, Dazed and Confused, Scream 3, just been in Josie and the Pussycats along with Alan Cumming. Oh, yep. God, yeah. Uh, goes on to be in Blade Trinity, uh, Superman yeah. Returns. Ugh. Yeah, she's, she knows her role in it. She knows her role in that. Uh, and as was in the Netflix Lost in Space, being their version of Dr. Smith. She was, yes. As Liam Foster. Matt Dillon. Oh, Matt yeah. Dillon. Yeah. Bringing some, uh, something about Mary connection there. Yeah. yeah. Mm, okay. Uh, Cameron Diaz chemistry. This is just before he goes on to be in Crash. It is yeah. just before he's in Crash. Yeah. Uh, obviously the Outsiders and Drugstore Cowboy. Yeah. Uh, back in the day, Wild Things. Uh, and there's something about Mary. Goes on to be in Crash. Uh, you, me and Dupree. Uh, then kind oh, of yeah. di- disappears Come for a little while, uh, but he's in, been in Wayward Pines, which I hear good things about, but sure. never watched. Fair enough. And finally, as Brody Hansen, Peter Fascinelli. Why do I know that name? Is that that kid from... He is possibly... Uh, because we've, we've obviously... We've had Christian Stewart uh, in, the, in the modern one. I've got yeah. another Twilight connection here, because mm-hmm. he is... He's the do- dad, isn't he? He is he's Dr. Carlisle. Yeah. Uh, in the he's, Twilight films, he's the dad. Yep. Uh, he's also he's been in Nurse Jackie, uh, and he's uh, Maxwell Lord in Supergirl. He is. Really? Yeah. Yes. Yes. But I remember. Uh, at this point, he has been in can't, uh, can't hardly wait uh, in riding in cars with boys with yeah. Drew Barrymore, yeah, yeah. Uh, and has just shown up in a minor role in The Scorpion King. He did. Oh, yeah. So they fuck me. Goddamn. Well, int- very, very 2003 cast. Yeah. Very interesting yep. stuff. I could see this working, but I'm very curious about the plot because as we've established, the first one just kind of moves along. It's very straightforward. Mm-hmm. The second one convolutes up its own anginess. So um, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm curious to what we're going to do with this. Also, 
9-11, Tim. Maybe some fucking <laughs> flags in here somewhere. Just Thankfully. imagine there's always a flag in the background. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Thankfully, so far, no Bruce Willis, no Crispin Glover. So, improved um, so far. Uh, we've had so many pictures where we say, and returning, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, you're shitting me. And so, the real hero was the thin man the whole time. Fucking, all right. <laughs> Makes you want to pull your hair out. <coughs> hey. That's how I shave my fucking hair off. Uh, I'm ready. I'm very curious. Let's go. Let's okay. do it. The film opens on board a luxury yacht in the Gulf of Mexico, where Brody Hansen, the heir to an aeronautics fortune, is being held hostage by a gang of modern day pirates. <laughs> Dylan, who has been infiltrating the gang, accompanies two of the pirates down to the engine room to disable the bomb they have attached there. As the leader of the gang keeps watch for any approaching ships, Alex sneaks aboard, having ridden a dolphin to the side of the ship. <laughs> I see we've found the toad. <laughs> Deathly serious. She locates Brody, who reveals that the gang is actually after the ship's advanced radar, which is being tested before it's sold to the US military. As Dylan and Alex fight some goons, of course they do, the rest of the gang depart on a speedboat with the technology. However, Natalie is able to catch up with them having performed a skydive from high altitude to reach the ship. Hell yeah. The fighting with the pirate leader, she manoeuvres the speedboat back to the yacht and Dylan and Alex are able to shoot grappling hooks into it and follow behind on wakeboards. Inspired by my <laughs> X Games themed pitch there, Season 11, it's all wakeboarding oh, all the time. Domino effects. Matthew? No, episode Wake, three is going to be such a. It's not set in two thousand three. There's no wakeboarding. <laughs> it's what? such a disappointment. You're a fucking rule breaker here. We'll Matthew. get there. Get how, rewriting your pitch. How man. dare you? The, <laughs> I'm so sorry. The stipulations were early to mid two thousands and wakeboarding. <laughs> I don't understand how you misunderstood you, that. You were there when we pulled those out of the the tombola. Yeah. I was there, and I said at the time, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. The pirate leader seems to get the upper hand, but Natalie cuts the boat's power, allowing Alex and Dylan to jump aboard and knock him overboard. After an opening title sequence with requ requisite voiceover from Charlie, we return... Uh, three young girls. <laughs> they turned into three very different women. It's the it's same. It's a very creepy way of saying it. It is. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Anyway, we return to Los Angeles, where Natalie and Pete are hosting a housewarming, having moved in together. Ah. Hmm. Jason, who has become close friends with Pete, arrives, but there is considerable awkwardness as he learn we learn that Alex has broken up with him. Oh, very interesting. So Pete and Jason have that moment where they're like, hey man, how's it going? Yeah, like, yeah good, thanks. And like, do you know each other? No, it's, it's, it's the <laughs> classic. Uh, we're all girlfriends and uh, these are the men friends. Each other. They yeah. will now get on. How's yeah. that? They're just guys. Yeah. yeah. They'll be fine. Uh, but that's interesting about the breakup. I'm okay, okay, okay. Well, they're on again, off again. Kind yeah, of, yeah, 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 yeah. But, yeah. Alex and Dylan hide on the roof and commiserate their bad luck with romance, with Dylan sharing that she was sworn off she was sworn off men after her last date shot her through her window and tried to kill her boss. Fair. Fair. Yeah. The next day, Charlie praises the Angels for their work on the Hanson case. He introduces James Bosley, an enthusiastic but slightly flustered new agent who will be taking over from his cousin John while he testifies to Congress. Brief cameo from Bill Murray saying some funny shit. It's not filmed with any of the rest of the cast, <laughs> so they don't have to put up with him. He's Fair. off in a separate room with yep. no one else. Yep. Bosley and Charlie brief the angels on their newest client, Liam Foster, a whistleblower from Baldur Pharmaceuticals. 
Foster is a biochemist who has been working on Project Mistletoe, a new vaccine for Ebola. However, he discovered the samples they were working on are for a completely different virus that he doesn't recognise. He raises it with his superior, but they are reassigned to another department and he hasn't been able to contact them since. As Foster tells them all this, Dylan finds herself flirting with him and asks the other two angels to stop her from falling for a client again. A cl- classic. That, that feels very much in character. Does that mean that. he's the bad guy? Well, we don't know yet. Knowing you, though, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like a radar to it. Oh, yeah. The angels decide to infiltrate Boulder's lab in Los Angeles and uncover the truth. We get a pre-heist montage as the angels identify all the weak points in Boulder's security. Dumb guards, no sensors in the elevator shafts, motion detector in the vaults, clean room sweeps every two seconds, that kind of stuff. The plan is for Alex to accompany Liam to recover his work on the vaccine while Dylan and Natalie secure the virus samples. However, upon arriving, the lab's entrance has been updated with automated security that Alex can't bluff her way past. Oh shit. And she and Liam get separated. Dylan and Natalie grappling hook over to the roof, but discover there are now increased guard patrols and they are forced to improvise and abseil down into the offices. Inside, Liam spots Baldur's CEO, Farringdon Pierce, along with a woman he doesn't recognise called Kennedy. He like overhears them talking and gets her name, but he doesn't know who she is. Oh, yeah. Bosley, who is watching via a spy cam that Liam is carrying, runs her through facial recognition and gets no hits. Alex manages to catch up with Liam and the pair head to his lab, while Dylan and Natalie reach the virus vault. They defeat the motion detectors and reach the vault only to find the samples are gone. They realise that additional cameras have been installed and from a monitoring station, Kennedy overrides the safe and locks them in. At the same time, Alex and Liam exit his lab with the vaccine data, only to be confronted by another woman, named Ramona, armed with a machine gun who opens fire on them. We flash back to Kennedy and Ramona looking over the blueprints of the labs with Pierce pointing out the same flaws the angels spotted. Alex and Liam flee, barely escaping, while Dylan and Natalie are able to use the vault's cooling fluid to break the door. The angels fight off Baldur's security forces and witness Pierce, Kennedy and Ramona departing in a helicopter with a large sample case. Reuniting in a nearby diner, the angels bemoan their failure. Bosley tries to buck up their spirits with American sports metaphors that he completely fucks up. That's <laughs> I can say John had us all over that shit. Good show. Yep. Before switching to British ones, which one none of the angels understand. Yeah, that's, again. Well, at least it didn't hit your fucking wicket or whatever. Yeah. Like, <laughs> sticky yeah. wicket offside. A, exactly. A yeah. 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 Liam tells the group that Pierce will need a special facility to store whatever he's taken from the vault and some detective work by the Angels reveals that he purchased a private lab in New Orleans recently. Flying there via private jet, the Angels worry about the two mystery women that they encountered and how they were able to be one step ahead of the Angels. Alex reveals she broke up with Jason because she wanted to spare him the heartbreak if she ever didn't make it back from a mission. Mm. See, that makes more sense because <laughs> he cannot take care yes. of himself. Uh, and Natalie says she pushed Pete to move in together because in their line of work, they can't afford to waste time. Ah, going in two different directions there. That's, mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. Arriving in New Orleans, they discover Pierce is throwing a lavish party and, of course, decide to infiltrate it. Cue outfit change, etc. There have been many, many outfit changes. Many by outfit this changes point. in different e- Every paragraph I'm stuff. assuming is an outfit change. <laughs> yeah. Liam insists on joining them. But they refuse, with Dylan eventually handcuffing him to a chair in their hotel suite. Mm. 
Matron. (laughs) At Pierce's mansion, he complains to an unseen woman about his encounter with the angels at the lab, saying that he... There. Saying that she was meant to ensure such things didn't happen. The woman counters that the angels are very good at their jobs, but she's better. And while the angels might be on their trail, they have no idea what they're walking into. The angels arrive at the party with Bosley, who is posing as a Scottish lad. Of course he is. Yeah. Uh, complete with kilts, despite his many protests. Okay. Uh, the angels recognize a number of sketchy in- individuals, including international terrorists, organized crime figures, and foreign military leaders. But no thin man, thank God. Tim. I keep looking at Tim. I, I Tim. Keep looking at him. <laughs> Tim. Puckish face. <laughs> and that Crispin Glover look in your eye. <laughs> um, Stop smoking, Tim. <laughs> who pierces staff all usher into a private area. Natalie and Bosley distract the event security staff with a flamboyant dance number. Mm. Again, very on on, uh, on par for what this is. And Alex and Dylan sneak into the private lounge, followed by Natalie after she pulls off Bosley's kilt. <laughs> uh, this is Buck's Fizz style. For those who don't know, that's a, a Eurovision reference yeah. where there's a smaller skirt underneath. So the question is, does she pull his kilt off and there's another kilt underneath? I'll leave that the sporran cover John up his We'll see, Han- John we'll see what Jan- John Hanna's willing to uh, get away with. If we can get John Hanna's butt on film, then we will do. Okay. John Hanna's bare-ass haggis. Thank just- God for my sporran! Fucking slap faster there. And disappears during the outcry. Meanwhile, back at the hotel, Liam breaks free from the handcuffs and decides to head to the party. In the private lounge, the angels conceal themselves on a lighting rig and witness as Pierce reveals that Baldur has bioengineered a virus that it's planning to release. The firm has also developed a vaccine that will cure it and will make billions as a result. Mission Impossible 2. He offers the assembled wrongans a chance to purchase vaccines for their organisations early, giving them a huge advantage over their rivals once the virus begins to spread. (laughs) Wrongans! The various villains agree to Pierce's terms and depart leaving Pierce to celebrate his success with the mystery woman from earlier, who the angels realise is Whitney Armstrong, a former angel. Nice, nice. Dum, dum, dum. I mean, that plot point is a good plot point. It's it's absolutely worth keeping. Mm. The angels go to leave their hiding spot only to discover they have been trapped as spotlights illuminate them and Whitney reveals she knew they would make their way to the sale. A distraction rumba? I invented the distraction rumba. Kennedy and Ramona take the angels prisoner and prepare to shoot them, but Pierce interrupts and suggests that they be used as test subjects to see how effective the virus is. Whitney agrees, and the angels are chained to an aerosol bomb that will disperse the virus, learning that Pierce has three other devices just like it. Dylan asks Whitney why she is working for such an evil man, and Whitney says that Pierce works for her. The entire scheme was her idea, but after years of putting her life on the line for Charlie, she began to see the benefit of being the woman behind the curtain. In a flashback to the early 80s, we see a young Whitney alongside two other angels chasing down a bad guy atop a train. Now I have to ask a question, because this is obviously pre-de-aging. Are Mm. we having just a young random person? It's not like a celebrity cameo, it's just like a younger person playing. I think we will do a mix of uh, random younger person styled to look like Michelle Pfeiffer. That would be the the thing to do at the time. Yeah, no, no and, one would then, find and then perhaps a Michelle Pfeiffer 
made up to look younger mm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for some close-up shots kind of okay, thing. Okay, okay, that makes sense. Um, on uh, One of the other angels slips, and although Whitney catches her, she is unable to keep hold of her, and the angel falls from the train to a river below. I get that classic sort of like, damn it, my mission went wrong and I've changed mm. sides. Uh, Assassin's Creed Rogue style of all the references <laughs> to make. <laughs> that Fuck. classic reference that everyone would automatically make. Everybody can relate to that. Fucking Matthew. We, we see right. Whitney at her bedside as doctors say the woman is unlikely to ever wake up and a note reading, Goodbye, Charlie, propped up against the familiar speaker. Too bad it's not a camera. You'd be able to see that. <laughs> <laughs> Whitney, Pierce and the others depart, leaving the angels to be infected but Bosley and Liam manage to defeat the guards left behind and free the angels before the virus is released. Natalie is able to disarm the bomb, and the angels head off to pursue Whitney, leaving Liam to deliver the virus sample and, Le- and his notes to the vaccine to the CDC. Heading to the roof, the angels spot the bad guys among the crowds on the street, leading to a rooftop pursuit, which becomes a car chase when Whitney, Pierce and the others reach their vehicles and head out of New Orleans. The angels borrow some motorcycles and pursue them to an airfield, managing to capture Pierce, but failing to catch up with Whitney and the others who depart on a large military jet. After some swift interrogation, the cowardly Pierce reveals Whitney plans to launch the virus bombs from the air over Los Angeles. Not Los Angeles! All the celebrities will die. I mean... Slash pay for vaccines. To quote Tool, let it all sink. (laughs) <laughs> um, but even if they catch up with their plane, uh, her plane, sorry, the bombs have been fitted into drones that will launch automatically if the jet is under attack. The angels scramble to formulate a plan, and Alex has a brainwave. Aboard the jet, Whitney makes final preparations as they draw closer to Los Angeles. Ramona, is, uh, who is flying the plane, checks the radar and announces they are all clear as we pull back and reveal the angels' jet close by. Bosley pats a device in the co-pilot's chair and tells the angels to remind him to return it to Hanson Aeronautics once they're done. I have a question already. Yes. Did they, did they have a jet? Is it feels like a, this feels like a TV reference thing. Is that a thing or is that not a thing? I don't know if they had a jet in the oh. thing. I, it just feels like one of those things like, oh, it's just like a callback almost in a weird way, yeah. but it's not, is it? So, oh, that's no. interesting. Uh, obviously, the, the Hanson Aeronautics thing is a callback to the guy they rescue in the, oh, but, yeah, yes, at the so beginning. I got that. But yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. Interestingly enough, because... These films, for, for for all their like spy action stuff, they're not very globe trotty. They're all set in very the US. Im- yeah. yeah, exactly. Uh, whereas the 2019 one is a lot more like jumps around all over the place. It does, and apparently that's largely because McGee uh, has agoraphobia yes. and is very f- afraid of flying. Yep. Oh, like Kubrick. Um, mm, so like, like the fucking bathroom, because he was gonna he was gonna direct something pretty famous, but backed out because he was like. I literally can't like you want me to film in like Italy or something, yeah, and, and I, I can't, can't leave. I can't get there. I mean, I respect that. It's it's, it's a horrible thing because it, it is, puts you yeah. in a shitty position of a career. But it does limit the film you're doing to. I mean, America's huge. You have got so much the scope, yeah. but at yeah. the same time, mm, interesting, yeah. interesting. Um, yes. So I don't know if they had a jet before, but they've got a jet now. They can afford it. Oh no, it's okay. I was just saying it, was, it feels like one of those callbacks to a TV series. Like, oh, Tim's up from things, but it's not. It doesn't make a difference. That's fine. But it, it may be, like... but it's not a deliberate <laughs> not one on my part. Yeah. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, Bosley pilots the jet above Whitney's plane, and the angels descend on ropes, like the start of Dark Knight Rises, <laughs> <laughs> uh, breaking into the plane. Uh, Natalie goes to disarm the other bombs, encountering Kennedy, 
while Alex heads to the cockpit to take control of the jet from Ramona. Dylan faces off against Whitney, who pulls out a pair of pistols and opens fire, reminding the angels that they used guns back in her day. Yeah. Mm, okay. We get some wire-foo combat that will age pretty badly as the angels fight <laughs> their counterparts. Alex quickly takes out Ramona and sets the jet on autopilot, then heads to help Natalie disarm the drones. They manage to disable two, but Kennedy launches the third before being knocked out. Alex and Natalie grab parachutes and leap out of the plane to pursue it, leaving Dylan alone against Whitney. Trying to avoid being shot, Dylan hides among the cargo crates as Whitney tells her that eventually every angel ends up alone, without Charlie, Bosley, or her teammates to help her. I like this typical, you know... I've been betrayed by the system kind of thing. Mm, you'll end up bitter like me yeah, one yeah, day. Yeah. You're mm. one bad day away from being me yeah. kind of thing, yeah. Dylan tells her that she's alone because she chose to be. She's closed off rather than sharing her pain with others who might understand. In free fall, Natalie and Alex manage to disarm the drone and pull their parachutes. Dylan manages to tackle and disarm Whitney and they continue to fight as Ramona and Kennedy also parachute out of the jet. Dylan finally defeats Whitney who detonates a hidden explosive and sends the plane into freefall. Dylan discovers there's only one parachute left, and Whitney tells her to just leave, saying there's no room in the world for fallen angels. Ah, Instead, ooh. Dylan grabs hold of her and pulls the parachute, lifting them both out of the descending jet. On the ground, law enforcement swarms to arrest Whitney, Kennedy, and Ramona as they all land, and the angels reunite and celebrate saving the day. Back in Los Angeles, Pete proposes to Natalie, ah, there we go, telling her that he understands if it's too fast for her, but she enthusiastically accepts. Yay! Alex meets up with Jason, confessing her fears to him, and the pair tentatively get back together. At the Townsend Agency, Charlie and Bosley congratulate the angels on the job well done. Congratulations, Char angels. <laughs> Thanks, Charlie! And Charlie apologises for failing to keep Whitney from the dark path she went down. Liam enters the office telling the angels that the virus has been contained and the vaccine passed on to the CDC and others. Well, yeah, and others. It's not just one control in America. Yeah. Really, <laughs> um, he and Dylan flirt a little, <laughs> uh, a little more, sorry, before he departs. And Alex and Natalie observe that he's no longer a client, so Dylan wouldn't be breaking the rules if she wanted to date him, sending her scrambling after him. Um... Freeze frame. <laughs> <laughs> Or some Beyonce song from It probably would be, I assume. Tim, you have any ideas about soundtrack stuff other than it's probably good? Uh, I did. Kick ass soundtrack, <laughs> Tim. Uh, I didn't have any kind of like contemporary picks for the soundtrack, but in the first film, um, essentially when they're introduced, each um, of the angels gets an angel themed song that like underscores their introduction. So I thought we would do a similar one in this one, and I did have mm -hmm. some picks for those. Uh, for Alex, it's uh, There Must Be an Angel Playing With My Heart by Eurythmics. For Natalie, it's uh, Angel Baby, Don't You Ever Leave Me by Stevie Wonder. And for Dylan, uh, it's Ask the Angels by Patti Smith. Nice. Okay, okay, cool. Um, Tim, I like it. I like that it's, again, it's, it's straightforward. You remove a lot of the ambiguity by getting rid of McGee for me. Um, <clears throat> we do not have that certainty of saying, oh, no, this person will be fantastic directing films, but the amount of um, narrative work in the music video she's done, I can guarantee it'd be a very interesting visual thing. I had, uh, it's a frustrating gripe. I can't tell if it's actually a complaint or not, but I'll air it with you. Go for it. 
some of the stunts feel too big. <laughs> Tim, it's too good. <laughs> well, no, I mean, it, it feels like 2010, 2010's Mission Impossible level stuff. But it, it I mean, not like, you know, anything akin to Dying Light Rises with the plane thing. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't think we'd have seen it. But, but that being said, I could see a way that it could be filmed you know where it hopefully doesn't look yes pony. obviously i said like dark knight rises it oh, would not be but, shot like christopher nolan no no no, no yeah we would not be doing An it in real life actual plane no, it would probably be it'll be a fuselage on a fucking blue screen yes yeah, yeah exactly but it would be shot well hopefully i can think i that's yes. I, I i think the escalation in my head is like put it into the 2000 2003 because it's like even when we're talking about the the danger of the 2000s as it were in this point is Oh yeah, we'll just green screen everything. We'll blue screen mm. everything. We'll, we'll, mm. we'll fucking CGI. I was like, mm, I feel like some of these sequences, they'd go, well, we know how to do that. It's like, don't. But uh, again, we'll just have to go with the idea that, no, 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 your director keeps them on track. Because mm. again, the music videos you've mentioned, a lot of it's in camera, a lot of it's straightforward, doesn't mm. really affect every stuff. It's mostly uh, cinematography based. I think it's very pleasing aesthetic and production design. So I will absolutely go. Yeah, fair play. We'll go with that. We'll say that's how it did go down effectively. Yeah. Yeah. I really like the bringing back the previous angels thing. Because I think that is a really cool idea. It is the best idea the second has. Yeah. Doesn't do anything interesting with. And the fact that you kind of play with that. Eventually you'll all get bitter and abandoned by Charlie and Mm. all that kind of stuff. I think that works really, really well. I like that they have their kind of like counterparts as well. So you've got the full kind of trio of bad guys against the good guys in that way that works Mm. really well. It's a double-edged sword because you do want that scrutiny. Mm. You want the whole like, there are more angels, this is a thing, and it doesn't end well. Mm. It's it's the... Fuck me the skyfall thing where it's like yeah just because you're special with them now doesn't mean you've always been the one agent that she's been sort of sending out for stuff and there'll be others and, and there's mm. a plot you see in lots of different films as well michelle pfeiffer takes the little thing out of her mouth and her face <laughs> melts she bit down the side i guess bit down but that's, the, that's the double-edged sword because if you actually go down that route you 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 potentially jeopardize the tone i had a lot more stuff about mm. like why she turned dark or evil or whatever yeah. you want to call it and i it wasn't necessary stuff i'd like written into the pitch it was like ideas i had i was yeah, working sure, yeah, on it and i was like no because this is getting too dark there it is and, and i didn't I, and i didn't want to make it, that line right? yeah. yeah and i thought michelle pfeiffer i i was like i think she can do scenery chewing baddie better than demi moore because demi moore's just a very straight down the line oh she's just doing she villains yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Michelle Pfeiffer in Stardust and Maleficent does yeah, that level exactly. of it. Yeah, exactly. And and even stuff like Hairspray. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yes, yes. So she's she's got that energy that I thought would work better. Mm. Um, I was trying to remember, and I fucking watched it recently. I can't remember if they ever actually give Demi Moore a reason for why she's turned evil. I don't remember it. Put it that way. I don't. Yeah. Then also, as I was saying to my wife, because we talk about. Uh, before you guys arrived, mm. uh, I saw my Charlie's Angels with her and she said, but basically what I was saying about the, you know, oh no, it was an iconic sort of thing, mm. had a huge impact on everybody, even though people don't necessarily remember all of it mm. or have not seen it recently. They know, you know, the the the, the ephemera surrounding it, basically. Yeah. But as I was talking about scenes, she said, oh yeah, I remember that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay, okay, I remember that. Um, And then I was like, do you remember anything from Full Throttle at all? Mm. And she said, no. 
And I'm yeah. like, and neither kind of do I. And I refresh my memory and I'm still going, hey, yeah. Now. And like, I mean, I have watched that film in the last two weeks and I'm like, and even reminded myself of bits in it more recently than that while I was sure. working on the pitch. And I was like, do they actually even touch on like why she's gone evil? Like, yeah, I don't, other than just yeah. a vague sense of like feeling betrayed by Charlie. Yeah. Um, so I, want, I wanted to put more oh, no, an to emphasis. that. Yes, yeah. But equally, I didn't want to delve into it too much because I think you run the risk of doing almost like a killmonger and being like, this person has some very excellent points about Absolutely. how like Charlie gets to sit presumably in some very wealthy office somewhere mm. telling these women what to do and they go get, do it. They go do die. it and put their lives on the line yeah. kind of stuff. Um, no, it's a, it's a very valid point. I think that's the, the, it, it's when you start trying to actually add substance and depth to a very hollow initial pitch. It's like, mm. who the, and as I said before, who the fuck is Charlie? Yeah. Who's this <laughs> creepy ass fucking dude who's just sending out young women to just infiltrate places and like, oh, you'll mm. be fine, you'll be fine. It's like, these young girls, grab like, who, who are you, man? And, and I think, you know, the, the 2019 film actually, like some of its strongest yes. stuff is because it has that distance from the, 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 the 2000s one, even though it's technically in continuity with them. Yeah. It does a bit more with that. And it starts to say like, hey, actually, maybe Charlie should be a woman. Maybe the Bosley should, you know. It does look at the agency as a whole and says, something's not right here. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, whereas this one, you can't really do that because it's such a direct sequel. And tonally, it wouldn't work to it, just start interrogating the whole thing no, see, and that's picking exactly it apart. It. You, you would be making a very different movie. You'd be almost taking such... I mean, that's not necessarily was a bad thing. With the fan base you'd have cultivated, yeah, it would have. And I don't, uh, you know, again, Drew Barrymore is an executive producer. What would motivate her to do that? And yeah, yeah what would what would motivate her to do that? I don't. Yeah, uh, you know, I think at least in terms of these, this film, she just wants to have another like fun adventure with Fuck her two with friends. friends. Yeah. Um. So and this I, is a more I, compelling one for an audience as yeah. well. So yeah. I so I didn't that. I didn't want to push too hard into that, but equally, like like we said, it's the best idea that the second film has. Absolutely, uh, really, and it really fails is. to capitalize on it in any interesting way. Yeah, no, I think I think you've maximized that. And as I say, when you right from the start, it was all like Michelle Pfeiffer, like, oh hello, yeah, I can see exactly where this is going, and good, basically, yeah, yeah that's exactly where it should go. Yeah, um, no, I, I think solid. Yeah, the motivation for Madison Lee in mm -hmm. the second film is that she was injured during a mission, and they didn't like look after her properly and charlie kind of like took her for granted and didn't do something it's vague she hints okay. at a couple of things because i remember i had this conversation with emma earlier she was like i don't really get her motivation i'm like neither do i yeah but she mentions like you were never there for me when i was hit and injured in a mission and blah 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 the the other girls they abandoned me and you were then never there for me charlie or something like that yeah that's it that's the, <laughs> the extent of an entire motivation. She turns up and they've she's got shredded. bad healthcare. Yeah. yeah, she shredded and said, "Do we get to win this time?" <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> Pretty much. Pulling her first blood. Yeah. Uh, two. Yeah. No. I again. Um, it's one of those films I can definitely see in my head. I think that the tone of it is one of those things that in the script you could put like if you were to say well we did earlier with the pitch, um, the synopsis. Sorry, when you draw out the the very straight synopsis of these things, 
it's a straight action comedy stuff. Mm. But you know all the flair, the nuance, and the fun, mm. which keeps that tone alive. Yeah, I needed more outfit descriptions too. Yeah. And I needed more <laughs> kick-ass music. But that's what's, that's what's ingrained in it. That's all implied. It's all that. Mm. That's the stuff that's. I mean, a line on a bit of paper is the script, but the delivery that makes it the entertaining thing that's memorable is mm. the performance that you're going to get from this thing. And again, you're bringing back the same. I, again, the wire work mindset as well. It sounds like there's less of it involved here. It feels like I don't think you're going full born identity. Kind oh, of thing. no, no. It's no. still just more of a. Uh, a Nothing presence. but shaky cam. Yeah, I think that's. I've gone more. Uh, less like. There's probably a little bit less martial arts and more of the kind of other stunty set pieces and mm. like the kind of uh, rooftop chase that then turns into them pursuing on motorbikes mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, which Let's obviously is the parkour not sh- sort of stuff. That's not yeah. shit motocross. That's not shit yeah, motocross uh, of them doing stunts midair. Yeah. It's them just doing a motorbike chase. Fair enough. Um, so is it a, bit, a, a little bit of grounding, a, a but not a little the f- bit the more grounded, but yeah. still keeping the cartoon fun, th- the cartoon fun, and the yeah. sense of kind of uh, whimsy. Yeah, because we're trying to placate a very strange audience at this point. We've got people who are going, "I want to see a Charlie's Angels film." Mm. People are saying, "Yeah, but we've seen a new flavor of action film, and I want to see that." Mm. So I think, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's you're trying to strike a very, very you're walking a thin edge, basically on a line because on a knife edge. Because at the end of the day. It's a weird one, but I think you do a good job of it. I think mm. it works, personally. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. If you have any feedback for us, listeners, please do hit us up on social media. We are Sequelizers on Twitter and Instagram. They're probably the easiest and quickest ways to get to us, apart from joining our Discord, which you can do by going to sequelizers.com, click on the Discord button. There's an invite there. You can just join the server. There's about 200 of us now in there. It's a fantastic little community of listeners, including the three of us. And some other notable names you might hear from the executive and VIP lists. You might ah. recognize some names in there. And we have basically like post-show discussions for the in-season episodes, for the main season episodes. People are going back and like catching up on episodes. Those conversations are hilarious. And there's all kinds of other topics to discuss in there with a very, very cool community of fellow sequelizers listeners. If you would like to follow me, I am JLW Chambers on all the social media stuff. I also do an SEO and digital marketing podcast called Search with Candor, where I interview the notables of the SEO and PPC community and also talk about all the latest news and stuff like that. So if you work in that industry, please do follow along there as well. Matthew, how can people find you and your exploits across the interwebs? Stogs, S-T-O-G-H-Z on various social medias. You can also go to the redrighthand.co.uk to read my reviews. You can go to cheesement.com see the things I make. You can also search for Sumo Drop Pod on Twitter for my podcast, Sumo Drop, which covers uh, sumo wrestling coverage, which is happening right now as this as this episode goes live. It's happening Back right shows now. shows are happening right now, motherfuckers. Keep us sure. Um, and enjoy that. Tim, uh, if people want to speak to you and have you tweet them, Hello, angels, or good morning, angels, <laughs> or something. Uh, how can they request that? Uh, yes, I do have a little uh, portable speaker available for purchase where you can press a button and then I'll say good morning, angels, uh, I, for you. I thought you were going to say you have a speaker that is text-to-speech of everything everybody tweets to you. Uh, uh, yes, that too. That too. Uh, well, no, it's text-to-speech of my tweets. It's oh. just, you, know, you press a button and it, it tells you the stupid joke that I just made. Nice. Um, but if you want to see those tweets uh, in text form rather than text to speech, uh, rather than sending me a postal order for 
twenty nine ninety nine plus postage. <laughs> uh, uh, you can go to trivia underscore lad on Twitter uh, and uh, read my witterings there. If you'd like to support us on Patreon, you can go to patreon.com slash sequelizers. Links for all that stuff and the website and all the social media stuff are, of course, in the show description. So if you're on your podcast app of choice, just scroll down a bit. It's all there for you. It's easily, easily found. And if you can't support us on Patreon, we totally understand. Oh, the world's still fucked. So, you know, whatever. <laughs> but you can support us by reviewing us on your podcast app of choice, whether that's Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, whatever it is, we would appreciate your support by basically just spreading the word and, and sharing our podcast around the internet, whichever way you can. With that, that's two episodes in the books for season 11. Yep. Do you think the listeners are ready for episode three? Uh, it's very different. It it's, is very it's, different. I don't want to cut in before you, Jack, but... No, uh, just steal my bit, Matt. It's fine. I did. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's like... I, there are like there's like no tangential links really i can't i can't think not of, easy ones of anything um no i'm trying to run a very loose oh loose oh, drew barrymore I've, thing I, i've got oh. one i've got one uh also features brown face <laughs> wow i mean that is true <laughs> fuck that's the theme for season 11 everybody <laughs> wakeboarding <Christ>. and brown face <laughs> <laughs> I'll just kill Jack with that line. <laughs> Fucking hell. See you next week. Bye-bye. For more brown face and wakeboarding. Bye.